I'm going to have to buy the Rod Stewart album now, aren't I? Because it's a Christmas album and he's never done one. Oh, I do hate it when they tell me these things. You know, just you're trying to save money for Christmas, you know, to get rid of your tax bill in January. And, uh, anyway, morning. What a miserable blooming day. What a miserable day it is outside. Horrible, horrible. It's a bit windy. But I have to tell you, I went to a hotel yesterday for, for, for some business. And it was the Covent Garden Hotel in Monmouth Street, just up from Seven Dials. I've never met so many polite people in a hotel. I kid you, it was noticeable that they were so polite. And I've been in just about every big hotel you can possibly go in. Not here, but all over the place. And, and this one, it's not a big hotel. They were just polite. From the moment I walked in, the, the concierge, good morning, can I help you? I said, I'm here for... So, so, so. He said yes. I'll just and he came for out for his thing. He said, just "Take take the lift there. When you come out, turn left, and it's just there." So I I get in the lift, go down, take it, and uh, and then somebody walks past me. Hello, are you all right? Yes, I'm fine, thank you. Then two other people. Good good morning. I began to think I was being filmed for something. They went, "Good morning. Everything all right? Can I help you with anything?" No, I'm fine. And then this this lovely lady came out pushing a sort of trolley like one of the cleaning ladies. Morning, she said. You all right? I said, yes, I'm fine, thank you. And you? She went, I've never met so many polite people. It was noticed, but when I went out, goodbye, thank you. I thought, they can't have remembered me. I was only in there for about two hours. But they were ever so polite. In fact, I, I walked out thinking they were very... Of course, I, I bumped into... Uh, I bumped into Lorraine Kelly. I don't want to say too much about it, because it kind of gives away where I was. But, and... Um, and it was it was something odd. There were just three of us, and I was one of them. And she was there with sort of a little entourage. And they they actually got a tray with tea on it. I didn't get a tray with tea on it. So quite clearly, I'm not in the same league. But uh, she was there, and um, and I can't tell you what it was. I'll just tell you we were there. But the hotel were really really pleasant. It makes such a change, doesn't it? But by the time I got back home yesterday, I bumped into Andy McCall. Bless his heart. He was sort of he was sort of wanted window shopping in Cecil Court, just over the road, which all the bookshops are. And somebody was doing a talk. As I walked past, I, I was sort of talking to Andrew, and it was somebody doing a talk and talking about Harry Potter and, and, this, and these bookshops down there. Because I think what they've actually got in some of them, they've got first editions. And first editions go for lots of money. You know, so if you're looking for a, a really special present for somebody and you want to buy a first edition book, they've got, you know, many things from Biggles to... Uh, Mary Poppins first editions. They go for around even Paddington Bear. They go for around about two hundred and fifty to three hundred and fifty pounds for a first edition in good condition, signed sometimes by the author. So if you're looking for, and I hate to mention Christmas around the corner, but now would be a good time to start stockpiling Christmas presents. If you're in that 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 rich league where you can buy nice presents like that, failing that, I'll accept jewellery. I'm more than happy to accept jewellery. Tanzanite, I don't really want. Uh, I was watching. Uh, one of the jewellery channels the other day. God, they sell some rubbish. God, they sell... I cannot understand why you, the great British public, would ever, ever, in a million years, buy chronically crap jewellery on the television. But what is even worse than you buying jewellery and watching these people... I mean, they're market traders flogging garbage. You know, they go, this is so rare. This is so, so rare. They had a ring on there the other day. This is, And the price was up on the screen... £50,000. I thought, look, the people you're appealing to have got a visa card. They don't have 50000 quid, And so, magically, it came down to 3000 
They never flogged it because, quite clearly, people are looking to buy the, the, the lower end, which is... And they go, oh, this, this, this tanzanite is so rare. You know, very shortly the stocks are going to run out. You thought, no, they're not. You're lying through your teeth. Don't tell lies to people. You get caught out. You know, only in the place where you have it mined is it running out. But everywhere else has got loads of it. And they go, and here, this is beautiful. Look at this. this and they wiggle their fingers around. They make me sick. They really make me sick because they're just... They're, they're con artists. They're flogging you rubbish. And so she goes, and here it is, and let's see what price we can get it down to. Nineteen ninety-nine. I can't, but... Ni- and you think, well, of course you know it. You're not that stupid, or maybe you are, I don't know. And uh, it's, they're almost as bad as the people who do the roulette wheels overnight on television. Small wonder people listen to the radio. You know, you watch the television, it's just people ripping you off. You know, and you can play virtual, and if you put £10 in, we'll give you another £10. You think, of course, because you're going to lose. You're playing a computer game. A computer game, you're not even playing, it's not real. They, they go, it's a virtual game. Of course it is, it's a virtually, you know, virtually it's going to take your money off you, as simple as that. But the, uh, what was the other thing they were selling? Oh, the other thing which you buy, I'm absolutely amazed, I've seen it on Bid TV. God, they sell some rubbish. Price drop and all the rest. I think they're all inextricably linked together. You know, I've, I've spotted a few people that I know on there, flogging this old tat. And it is... Do you know what people buy on, on television? The thing which you would never imagine people buying on television? Perfume. Why would you ever, in a million... You need to smell it. You need to smell it. And they come up with some crackpot name for this cheap, inferior toilet cleaner, which they flogged you on wherever it is, any of these these uh, these channels on the television. They go, and you get this and this and that, and... £20. £20. You go, oh, that's a bargain, because it's rubbish. Why would you ever, ever, in a million years, want to buy perfume from somebody you've never even heard of? I think they give it a fancy name. They go, it's Eloise Dupont. Eloise Dupont. And it's got Paris. You go, yeah, Paris, Uganda. And people buy it. They send off their money for this rubbish. They get it back. They go, poor God, it stinks. At least it'll keep the mice away from the drains. And that's what, and people buy. You don't ever, ever, in a million, unless you're really stupid, buy perfume on the television. You want to smell it. It's like, you know, you look at the eyeshadows and they go, and here, uh, this is Leighton Denny. Leighton Denny is very famous on the television. He's this northern queen. I'm assuming he's gay. He's got to be. You don't get many men going to make up. And he does nail varnish. Nail varnish for the stars by Leighton Denny. It's all very, very exciting. And, uh, and they sell it. And it was like, obviously, nail varnish, you ladies don't mind spending money on. It was like 35, 36 pounds for five little bottles Maximum £12, is it? Right. And, and so Leighton Denny's got it, and Leighton comes on wearing one of these camp little suits which these northerners seem to favour, you know, with sort of little skinny ties on there, and the hair's bleached, and the eyebrows. And you think... There's a disgusting picture in the paper today of that revolting creature, Rylan, the man who set the gay movement back 300 years. You know, the sort of person... Even gay people want to hold him under the bathwater for a long time. And he drops his trousers in a London street. He goes off to G.A.Y., an embarrassment an embarrassment of the First Order, and then tries to... He's drunk, so he drops his trousers. I mean, just awful. Just awful. And you think to yourself, and this is what we're putting in the papers nowadays. You know, I feel as disgusted by that as watching, you know, people flogging you perfume on the television or rubbish items. You know, and here it is. This is a solar light done up like a meerkat that you can put in the garden. Who in God's name ever buys this rubbish? I thought it just appeared in those in those sort of Indian bazaar shops where they have most of the shop on the pavement. And so you can buy bin liners and plastic buckets. Oh, and look, we must get one of those. A meerkat. 
with a solar panel on its head, or felling a, a panda or a pussycat. The amount of light these things emit. You couldn't illuminate a cupboard, ladies and gentlemen, in pitch darkness. They're that rubbish. But people buy... They sell them on QVC. Look, you can get 12 of these, and you can illuminate the garden path. Well, if you're that bloody blind, don't go out at night. Go out in daytime. You're not going to illuminate the garden path. You know, you'd have to put floodlights on it. These little solar lamps. And I've seen people I know advertising this rubbish. It's just ghastly. They sit there selling it. And what's even worse? What did we have the other day? John Barrowman was flogging some skin care. Have they all got it? Lulu has got her, her skin range. And I th- who was the other one I saw the other day that I know? A former page three girl. And she was also selling a skin care range. I mean, it's like Holly Willoughby is apparently, you know, she has her own clothes. We've all got, I'm thinking of bringing out Steve Allen pants, you know, and then getting people to model them on television. It's just, everybody's doing it. They all just jump on the bandwagon and flog a few things. And then just to really annoy my day, on the front page of The Sun this morning, Twilight's cheating old bag, Kristen Stewart, remember her sleeps with that old film producer, is back with Robert Pattinson. Quite clearly he can't find anybody. I mean, it must be that desperate. I mean, why would you want your girlfriend back? Shop soiled goods, matey. Shop soiled. Get her back out on the market. Let her do whatever she wants to do. But apparently they're back together because they can't live without each other. Well, she quite clearly could live without him because she was off with this other bloke who was married. And so he's actually 26. She's 22. And, um, and, they're, and, they're, and they're back together again. I find it immensely... You feel like saying to bloke, listen, she'll cheat again. She'll cheat again. I mean, if, if you're that lonely, I can understand what it's like. We've all been there. You think, yeah, I really forgive you. And they go, I really love you. I told you the story of, uh, I knew a, a man who was cheating on his wife with two women. Two women. And he was, he was having rumpy-pumpy lunchtimes and things like that. And he sort of weaved it, you know, one was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, the other was Thursday, Friday, and then he'd see the wife on the Saturday in the evening time. And when the wife eventually found out, he said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And, and they got back together again, briefly. And she got pregnant, so she then believed that he really loved her. Meanwhile, he carried back on with the women again. It was hilarious. And in, in a situation like that, you don't know if you should tell somebody. Should you phone up and go, <clears throat> oh, look, I can't tell you who I am, but your, your old man's having it off with two, two birds at work. You know, I mean, because I knew them. And, and I thought, perhaps it wasn't my, my job, so I, did, I didn't say anything. Wrote it on a postcard and popped it in the postbox. <laughs> no, I didn't. Oh, you can't say anything, can you? You feel you know, but you don't, you don't really want to know about things like that. It's interesting that Alison King has split from her fiancé. I thought the same. Who the hell is she? I have no idea. It's in the paper. Alison King has split from her fiancé a year after they got engaged in Paris. I don't even know who she is. I have no idea. I had to read further into the story to discover, apparently, she's 39. She says, so she's fairly ancient you know, getting engaged in Paris. And uh, she's in Coronation Street. She apparently, she plays Carla Connor. I don't even know who she is. I had no idea. But she splits up with her fiancé. And then, proving, you know, that he really isn't all there in the brain department, Jack Osborne. Now, when we used to watch the Osbournes, and I did buy, you know, a couple of the series and watch it, all I, all I thought were is that they were a foul-mouthed family, I mean, I've never heard a whole family that use expletives like they did. Disgusting. I mean, really, the lowest of the lowest of the low. They couldn't have a conversation without swearing. The dogs were pooing all over the house. You know, it was, you know, and then the the fat bird in the family. Oh, what was that? Whatever the daughter was. And Kelly. I can never remember her name. It's so funny, actually, because she goes fat, thin, fat, thin, fat. 
And at the moment, she's kind of, like, nondescript. And she had this tattoo done. Oh, tattoo, Sharon, she's had a tattoo done. And all this kind of stuff. And Jack was always brandishing guns in the garden. He was going out there with guns, shooting them off in the air, frightening the neighbours. And I always thought then it was the family completely out of control. You know, they were the barking mad parents from hell and the two out-of-control children with a daughter who didn't want anything to do with the reality show. And so what did he get for his stag do? What do you think they came up with for Jack Osborne for his stag do? I'll tell you after this. This is LBC Night... Morning, 17 minutes past four. So Jack Osborne, the deluded one in the Osborne family, uh, has his stag do in Las Vegas. And as part of a treat from his friends, he says he was kidnapped by troops, including the SAS. I have to tell you, darling, they wouldn't have been the SAS, all right? They don't sort of rent themselves out to third-rate D-list celebrities. They, d- they don't do that, OK? It's an elite troop. But he says here, my friends flew out some guys from... Because he's so obsessed with guns and things like that. He's not all there upstairs, I'm afraid. Flew out some guys from counter-terrorism squadrons in the UK and they kidnapped me from the hotel. I got waterboarded. I don't think many people can say of their bachelor party I got tortured by a member of Delta Force, a Navy SEAL and two SAS members. I mean, just, I mean it just beggars belief, doesn't it? Jack, 26, mental age, 5. Tied the knot with Lisa Stelly in Hawaii this night. They have a child, incidentally, already, as you know. But, I mean, his, his predilection for guns in the garden and going around... He was, he's, he, yes, he's an adrenaline junkie. For that read, he can't bloody do anything at all. So they go, oh, Jack Osborne, he's an adrenaline junkie. I used to love all the girls you used to hang around with. He was the, the ugliest one out of the family and all these girls hanging around. Why? Because he was on the television. Because you get all these little numpties who'll hang around with anybody. What, are you famous? Yeah, famous. Oh, I want to be your friend. And that's what it ends up like, I'm afraid. Um... So, apparently, I, I did laugh, actually. Well, I know two things I've laughed over. Firstly, I turned on the television the other day, and there is this bloke who I think is in the dancing programme. Is it Colin Salmon, who was in, apparently, the Bond movies? I've never even heard of him. I've never even seen him before. And here's this bloke walking himself around like he's the star of the Bond movies. Well, the star of the Bond movies is James Bond, or failing that, it's the girls in the bikinis. Not some bloke... I think his name was Colin Salmon. I'm sure it was Colin Colin said, Well, I mean, who is he? And then he stood up next to Lorraine Kelly, and she's, like, you know, as big as a sprout. And he's, like, enormous. And they go, he's star of the Bond movie. Well, I'd never heard of him or seen him in anything at all. So I just thought it was a load of old hooey, I'm afraid. He was what? A minuscule cog. I mean, he must be. And obviously, quite clearly, not working. He has to be doing Strictly Dancing thing. I see Hulk Hogan... Is suing his best friend over a steamy sex tape. Oh, dear. Hogan says he was uh, filmed six years ago having acts with somebody and it's been leaked onto the internet. Oh, dear, I can't think of anything worse. And uh, apparently thieving diners are costing Jamie Oliver a lot of money. They're nicking the handles from the restaurant toilets. Nicking the handles? So they've now had to weld them onto the door to stop people... Because th- people are thieving the handles. Well, because they're Jamie Oliver's toilet handles, I suppose. Apparently, Jamie has said he, he's got old-fashioned chain flushes, and so people were unscrewing them and nicking them. He says some people were coming out for a meal and going over with half the toilet. I suppose you can say that this came from... People nick anything. Listen, I mean, years ago in my day, it was people who used to nick ashtrays. People used to nick 
dressing gowns, you know, and they were, and in all the Las Vegas hotels, it says, if you want the dressing gown, if indeed you didn't even find a dressing gown, you know, just, just take it, tell us, and we'll add $25. It's like years ago, you know, you used to have the little, the little mini bar, and people used to unscrew the gin, pour it out, drink it, then fill it up with water and put it back in again. Can't do that now. Because the moment you lift up the bottle, the little sensor registers that you've taken it. So they, they actually couldn't care less whether there's water in it or gin. The moment you've lifted it, you're paying. So we used to do that with, with vodka bottles. We'd lift up. The, in, in the old days, before the fridges had the, uh, the technology, take, take the vodka, swill the vodka, go to the bathroom, fill it up with water, screw it up, put it back in the fridge. They would come in, see it was all full up. Somebody else had come and rent the room, pour, pour the, uh, the vodka out. It must be really cheap vodka. It tastes like water. Because, of course, it was water. was water. Nowadays, they've got little tiny sensors hidden in the fridge. So the moment you lift the bottle an eighth of an inch, bing, you're paying for it. It's lovely. I love six. Some people are so cheap. Talking of cheap, here she is, Kim Kardashian. It's a good link. It's the best you're going to get at this time of the morning. Kim Kardashian apparently turned up for dinner the other night wearing her bra on the outside. What a piece of trailer trash. I mean, what do you look like, love? Phone boxes? Sunset Boulevard? That's what you look like. She went out with her boyfriend, Kanye West. I don't know what anybody ever sees in Kim Kardashian. Another one, I didn't know who she was. One of my bosses at work said, you must watch the Kardashians, it's very good. And so I started watching, but I can't get into it. I cannot get into it. They're all, they're all, they're just horrible people. And I remember Kim Kardashian went off to do something. And, and, and then she became foul-mouthed to her parents. I'm in the room, it's disgusting, and you think to yourself, you need to grow up. But uh, here she is. She went to a swanky bar. If I was in a swanky bar and Kim Kardashian walked in, I'm afraid I'd be up sticks and out straight away. It's like being in a bar and Cheryl Cole turns up, isn't it? You want to get out quickly because it's a bit low rent. It's like being in a restaurant and, you know, anybody from the Only Ways Essex pitches up. But luckily they don't go to anywhere posh, thank God. They, they sort of hang around. Most of the nightclubs in London don't want them in because it, it attracts the wrong people. You only want to attract decent people sweet in posh restaurant. If I was in there and Trey and Cheryl walked in, I'd be eating so fast and getting out because quite clearly that sort of restaurant doesn't deserve proper business. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I don't mind the Made in Chelsea lot people because they obviously, they do eat out in posh places. But, you know, somebody from a council estate in Newcastle, I'm sorry, dear. It's not happening. <laughs> anyway, oh, dear. Jimmy Savile again in the papers. Again! The B bosses now, they've said that there are members of the Top of the Pops crew who knew what was going on, and were also involved in it. The men, one a cameraman, were alleged to be involved in the paedophile scandal by callers to a leading abuse victim's charity. They say four people who worked at Top of the Pops. I mean, somebody, strangely enough, Virginia Ironside has highlighted what I said a week ago on this station uh, about Jimmy Savile. He was a rubbish disc jockey. He was never any good. He was an old man. He was past his sell-by, not that he even had a sell-by. And I haven't just said that recently. I said this years ago. I could never understand why somebody who never seemed to know anything about music at all, he just, you know, now then, now then, and here, you know, this is the Beatles, and, and he did his, his Top of the Pops thing, or he put a record on and the group would come on and mine. He appeared not to know anything about music at all. He appeared not to understand anything. And now they say it's a gang of four. Uh, DLT has uh, has said that he's denied these claims. He's furious. He said, come on, bring it on, bring it on. Because people, as you know, we reported yesterday, have come out and said that he groped. There was also Camilla Long, who wrote an article and said that there wasn't a part of her body he didn't grope. And he said, bring it on, bring it on, come on. So far, the police have not come and charged me or investigated or talked to me or anything else. He said, I'm just angry. 
which you can understand, can't you? If you were that sort of person and uh, somebody comes to an article on you and uh, you put your arms around their shoulders and they then go, he groped every part of me, you're going to be pretty furious that somebody's trying to paint you with the same brush as, uh, as Jimmy Savile, who just looked peculiar, whether he wore a gold tracksuit or he didn't. He just looked an odd old man. But he was a disc jockey and he was very powerful. He had his own TV show. You know, he was very, very successful. He had lots of houses. He drove a Rolls Royce. He was successful. People looked up to him. You know, in the same way you look up to, you know, loads of people who've become very, very successful. He was instantly recognisable. Instantly recognisable. Maria Miller, the culture secretary, signalled that Jimmy Savile could be stripped of his knighthood. He's dead, for Christ's sake. Who cares? Don't you think that's going to make any difference? Not going to make any difference at all, is it? Andrew Stevenson has backed calls by The Sun... But um, uh, Mrs Miller says that's something for the uh, Forfeiture Committee, and I'm sure they will have heard his comments. She also accused the BBC's Newsnight of inappropriately pulling an item on Savile. Well, yes, I mean, that's just like old news, isn't it? I mean, we did this one, Maria, some days ago. You're the only one who's kind of jumped on the bandwagon about two weeks late. But there again, never let, uh, never let the so-called culture secretaries know what's going on. Um, Dom Jolly, dreadful on the television, not much better writing in the newspapers, I'm afraid. And uh, he talks about, uh, what is he talking about? Oh, the X Factor. And says, people are only saying what we're saying. People must be listening to this programme and then thinking, I'll write that down and claim it as my own. It's like, I was saying the other day, I was in the office, and, um, and I was saying about the fact that Melanie Sykes who we used to refer to as Des O'Connor's carer, uh, was popping up on the television and thinking she looked great at 40-plus, which, of course, she doesn't. She's a deluded old woman. And uh, she's, you know, posing in your underwear, dear, just looks cheap and tacky. And if that's the best thing you could do to hang on to your very young boyfriend, well, then, you know, you might as well be paying for it. And in the office, James O'Brien said to me, he said, that, that phrase about um, Melanie Sykes being... being uh, uh, Des O'Connor's carer is mine. I said, I don't think it is. I said, I think that's my... Well, honey, he became quite agitated. Quite agitated. The most I've, uh, most agitated I've seen him... He said that. He said, you pinch that. I said, that's a disgraceful allegation. I said, I cannot believe you're even saying that to me. I thought, thank God I'm on before him. Because whatever I say on the programme, it doesn't matter whether I nicked it from him or not. He's not going to know about it, is he? Till later. Unless you lot tell him. And of course people do. I'm now following... He used to get angry. I wasn't following on Twitter. I get shouted at in the office by everybody. It's unbelievable. Some people are caring and nice. But anyway, Dom Jolly is talking about a drama on The X Factor. He says, last week, Gary stormed off in a hissy fit. It was so contrived, it made Towie look like quality period drama. Louis Walsh is now a fully paid-up pantomime dame whose sole job is to choose ludicrously outdated tunes for his acts. Well, that's all he knows. He doesn't know anything about pop music at all. All the... All the songs that Louis Walsh's acts ever sang and the groups that he looked after were songs that his mother used to tell him about. He doesn't know anything about pop music at all. I can tell you that for a fact. He knows that. And here is this ridiculous Ryland Clark. Can we kick this bloke off the X Factor immediately and stop wasting everybody's time with this silly little Mary? I've had enough of it now. It's now got to say- He went on a 4am bender with Lucy Spraggan. Who looks like she's wandered off the rough end of a trailer park, I'm afraid. The outrageous singer is not a singer. He's a desperate has-been. Uh, got fellow gay... S- oh, she's, she's gay as well. Oh, God. Got a complete set here. To cover up his privates by putting a hand over them. She had to carry him into the hotel. He tried to tear the wipers off a bus. Stupid tart, honestly. You wish these people had just disappeared. I mean, years ago, we could have shoved him on a troop ship and sent him off somewhere. Afghanistan would be nice nowadays, wouldn't it? We're sending you to Afghanistan, love, OK? You leave today. 
84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. Better things to steal from hotels. What would you want to steal from a hotel? There's nothing I've ever wanted. I used to take the shower caps. Because sometimes in the bathroom of hotel... I mean, I could do better. I took the sewing kit as well. and uh, But I never took ashtrays, because I always have non-smoking rooms in hotels. There was never anything to nick. There was never anything to nick. Now, you get a selection of coffee, and if you're lucky, you get some biscuits. But I didn't get any biscuits, so I, I generally take something in the hotel. For I like waking up in the early hours of the morning, and I like to make sure I've got cold water in the fridge, or some juice, or something like that, and uh, some bickies. And I've got tea and decaffeinated coffee, and that's all, that's all I care about. Because when you wake up at 3, 4 in the morning, look out the window at Las Vegas, you think, I just want a cup of coffee. And they used to have a little thing, a little machine in the bathroom. Funny place to keep it, but it was in the bathroom in the corner because the bathroom was vast. It was just me and a football team in there. And, uh, and you'd make yourself a cup of coffee and then sort of pad around. It was lovely, actually. I quite liked it. It's a bit like this morning. It's LBC 97.3. It's 4.30. <laughs> oh, sorry. I, I came over as happy just briefly. It's not like me at all. Then because Rupert Barty had a bit of, a, bit of an accident with a cup of tea. Spilt it down his trousers. Generally speaking, in the real world, we call it incontinence, but nowadays they call it the cup of tea fiasco. Poor soul, honestly. Uh, who are they going to kill off in Emmerdale, says Malcolm. My, uh, the bookie's favourite is Alan Turner. Well, you know they don't give Alan Turner very much to say now because he's, he's, he's getting on a bit. And uh, so, I mean, you don't need to kill him off because he's, he's only got a very small part. Uh, Carla is the, uh, the alcoholic part owner of the Knicker Factory who snatched Peter Baldwin from Liana. You interviewed the mother of her murdered boyfriend on Sunday. Oh, right. right. Thanks, Annabelle. Right. Yes, actually, we had a slight problem with In Conversation on Sunday. I think it had been out before. Somebody will need to tell me whether or not it was the same one. I'm not... We, we, we think it was. We think it was. Um, who buys meat and ice cream from the shopping channels? Apparently quite a few people. I mean, see, I can understand people buying meat or ice cream, or they buy these yoghurt kits. Have you seen that? The yoghurt kits. They buy them there. Um, and then... It's, it's the perfume. It's the perfume, isn't it? Who buys perfume that you can't smell? And somebody on the television would go, oh, this smells... And you think, why would you buy it unless you're really stupid? Unless you've heard of it. Unless it's a mainstream perfume. But they make it up, you know, Avoirpois Dupont. You know, from Paris. Because people think that all the best perfume comes from Paris. But it doesn't. East End of London is where the best perfume comes from. That's where they make most of it anyway. And they go, and, uh, and this one, oh, it's got the... Mm, the top note is leaves and silage and uh, pigs and stuff like you know. People buy it. You could tell them anything, couldn't you, really? Apparently, Colin Salmon was considered to play Bond before Daniel Craig was chosen, says Sam. Yeah, but he wasn't Bond. He wasn't Bond. You know, you could also my auntie Enid was chosen to be a Bond girl. She was 87, but she didn't quite make it. She didn't get as far as the, uh, as the process. It's like yesterday. I got, um, I got a text message from um, from one of my... Right, not a text message, a tweet. From one of my regular tweeters. Uh, getting a little bit uh, worried about the fact that as he goes on, Britain's got talent. This, this is Dale. Um, he, he wants me to be nice to him. You know, when I go on there and I said, well, I'm, I'm, I can't be nice to you. I don't know what your act is. What do you do? So far, we've had no response from him at all because I would want to know what Dale's act is. He has sort of a, an active website where it's, it's a little bit difficult to tell. You know, he, he obviously likes pictures of himself. That's all I can tell you. And um, he's, all I know, he's got some very strange pictures on his um, on his site and his profile. But um, 
he has got 1,721 followers, which is quite sweet. But what he does for a living, we've got no idea. And what he's going to do on Britain's Got Talent. So I quite rightly said, well, listen, if you're any good, we'll be nice about it. If you're rubbish, we'll tell you you're rubbish. I don't mess around with these sort of things. But so far, we're waiting for the reply. We don't, we don't know what he's actually going to, uh, to be on the television. <laughs> he's going to be on Britain's Got Talent. He's, he's, just a, he's just a little bit worried about it. A little bit worried. Uh, 84850 uh Frankie Boyle is suing the Mirror. Did you see that Frankie Boyle is suing the Mirror? Uh, because they, uh, they called him racist. This was a year ago, and he said... Oh, no, I'm not. Oh, no, I'm not. He's not. If you've seen his act, he's not. He, he, he's sexist, he's rude, he's offensive, but he's not racist. He's not racist. Somebody else saying that Colin Salmon was considered to play Bond. Yeah, so were hundreds of people. He didn't make it, but he's nobody. He's nobody. I've never even heard of the bloke. Never even heard of him. Daily Mirror this morning. This is the, uh, the doctor hearing his family's terrifying screams for help as I think four members of the same family died in this very suspicious house fire. I mean, how people live with something like that, I have no idea at all, I'm afraid. It's just an absolutely tragic story, and uh, the police are investigating that one. The Rolling Stones are touring, as predicted on this programme, more than two years ago. I said eventually they, they wouldn't sit at home and start counting the money and taking up knitting or something like that, and they are touring. They're going to do four shows. It will rake in four million pounds for each of them. For each of them, they will they will get a million pounds for four a million pound for each show. Such will be the interest. I mean, how old are they now? They're going to play November twenty five, twenty nine, New York thirteen and fifteen, and ticket prices. Ready for this one? Between one hundred and six pounds or four hundred and six, making the concerts the dearest ever. Don't you think that's a rip-off? Don't you think that's a rip-off? I mean, if you're a fan of somebody... I know football fans get ripped off left, right and centre, mainly by all the clubs who keep changing the uh, the strip, so you have to keep buying it because you're a fan. But, you know, some bunch of geriatrics out there performing brown sugar will be quite good, I have to be honest. But I don't know if it's worth £406. I don't... I think that's a bit too much money. A bit too much money. I mean, you know, with the merchandise, they will do very well indeed. They can't need the money. They must all have loads and loads of money. But, but uh, they, they, they obviously think that you, as fans, can afford to, um, to pay for stuff like that. I wouldn't pay that. I wouldn't. Uh, Miss Diane is back in Corrie. Oh, we love Miss Diane in Corrie. This is Miss Diane, who was with Benny in Crossroads. Box set out available and has been on In Conversation. Lovely. Hi to our Miss Diane and all the Facebookers this morning from Neil. Weather today, better tell you quickly, just in, just in case you're sort of getting up. It's very windy. Small chance of an isolated shower. Wind easy in the afternoon. Dry with sunny periods. 13 degrees centigrade currently. Sunset is 18.05. High today should reach 15. So it's a bit warmer at the moment than it was yesterday. And it's going to go up to 15 degrees. Thank you for making this the most popular programme in London at this time of the morning. I'm very, very pleased about that. We're constantly telling people to tweet and tell your friends, and uh, we seem to garner people from all over the place. All over the place. More on Jimmy Savile, the girls-only parties at uh, Broadmoor. And people think it was funny when Jimmy Savile was kissing young girls' hands, you know, you know, I love you, love you, and all that kind of... And we didn't think about the implications. And uh, here it's a paralysed girl of 11 who is kissing, kissing. He singled out this young girl for special attention. He gave her a frilly cushion and a diamond necklace. He said the nightwear he was handing over was fit for a queen. 
Little realising, of course. Nobody realises. A man there from Broadmoor smiling, going, oh, Jimmy Savile's meet... Without realising. Without realising. Esther Ranson is on the front of the Express today with her pained expression. Esther either has the, you know... I'm quite a young person for 70-plus, uh, or failing that, this is my depressed face, and she says here, this Savile scandal could ruin my life's work. And this was after it was revealed in the paper that uh, somebody had said, I told Esther Ranson about this years and years ago, and she did nothing. In fact, there were pictures of Esther Ranson smiling with Jimmy Savile. She must have heard the rumours. She said... You know, that she was a junior reporter in Fleet Street and she'd heard these rumours, but there was nothing to back it up. But you'd still heard rumours. You know, and as you got a bit older, you must have realised everybody was blooming talking about it. It was, in fact, like an open secret. That, that was the trouble. Everybody spoke about it. Everybody, it was, it was, it was almost, God forbid, like a joke. People just read, Jimmy Savile and Young Girls. Dreadful. Uh, 84850. Colin Salmon had a major part in Crime Suspect. God. We're trying to build him up now, aren't we, really? We're trying to make him into something. Whereas, in fact, all he is is an actor who's not working, who's decided to go into a, a dancing programme. Beyonce is set to perform a duet on The X Factor. They'll do anything to try and get the audience hemorrhaging left, right and centre. I think you've had enough of the uh, of the uh, the fakery. And also, now, Melanie Mason, or Masson, who was axed the other day. I mean, it's a joke, this programme. It's a joke. Apparently, now, she still hopes to make it big, as Gary Barlow has promised to write her a hit. What was the point of going on the competition in the first place? The whole idea is she lost, she was kicked off, and now Gary Barlow's going to write her a hit. What's the point of that? It doesn't make any sense at all to me, it really doesn't. The whole programme is just such a pile of pants, I'm afraid. We've kind of lost our way with it. It's a bit like watching baking on the television, a load of blokes cooking with Mary Berry and some bloke called Paul Hollywood, who's coming over as a little bit fake, as far as I'm concerned at the moment. I, I'm not... Uh, he's a little bit creepy. But we've got James and Brendan and John, and they bake cakes and bread. And it's lovely, but it's a bit... Na- Is that the best television programme we can get in this country? Men making cakes on the television. God, honestly. You want to throw yourself off a building, don't you? Talking of throwing yourself off, there's a woman here who uh, told owners that she ran a reliable pet refuge. Her name is Julie Newham. She uh, advertised her home on the internet as a haven for unwanted animals. Unfortunately, she was a child... She was um, an animal abuser. She neglected 33 cats. Many had to be put down. And uh, she was out in the Medway. Uh, she doesn't work, strangely. I don't know why she doesn't work at the age of 38. Perhaps she's incapable or she's just a sponger or something like that. But uh, she's been jailed for 12 weeks. She's been told to pay the RSPCA 1,200 quid. Her lawyer said she didn't have the cash to pay vets. Yeah, right. See, I'm amazed these people can actually get lawyers, you know, when they've done disgusting things like that. You feel like going round and sort of, you know, just being horrible to her and just being nasty. Oh, the bloke who uh, jumped off, Felix Baumgartner, is going to get married. He has jumped off strange places before, and... um, I personally didn't get it yesterday. James O'Brien and I both were a bit nonplussed, you know, by the fact that some bloke goes 24 miles up in the air and then jumps out of this, whatever it was he was in, like a capsule, and then plunges to earth. So? Some, some, some... Well, of course I couldn't do it because I'm a sensible adult. I'm not stupid. You know, it's, it's, it's like when you see people driving racing cars very fast. I could do that, except we have a 70-mile-an-hour speed limit. I could drive very fast down the motorway. What's clever about that? Nothing. 
Nothing clever. I wouldn't crash. I'm a very good driver. I've never had an accident. I don't, I don't do things like that. I don't do accidents, I'm afraid. Mind you, I've seen more racing drivers crash on the television than anything else. Rubbish people. Uh, 84850. Uh, one here. I don't bother with perfume. I just take a bit of old sweat from under my armpits. Actually, some people don't even use um, deodorant. The amount of people you bump into on the trains and things like that who don't... Oh, and the other day... Oh, we had, a, we had a lovely bus driver. Lovely bus driver. She was a nice lady. And um, and I get on the bus in... Where did I get on the bus? Oh, Trafalgar Square. And the 176 and the 139... Uh, one goes to Penge and one goes to Waterloo. Now they don't go round the Aldwych. They get as far as the end of the Strand and they go over the bridge. OK, and they've been doing it for months. So this bloke gets on at uh, at Stanley Gibbons halfway down the Strand and he gets on the bus and we get to uh, Waterloo Bridge and she goes to turn right. So this bloke comes up to the front and he goes, excuse me, he said, I thought you went round the Aldwych. She said, no, not for. for he said, can you open the doors? And so she said, no, I'm not risking my job. So he swears at her. He swears at her. This total dipstick swears at her on the bus. And she said, it's not, it's, I can't just open the doors of a bus. She said, you'll have to wait. So, of course, she goes to go over Waterloo Bridge. I mean, I'd have put my foot down and sort of knocked him over anyway. But I, I, she, she puts her foot down. She goes over Waterloo Bridge. And the bus stop is nearly when you get to the roundabout the other side on upper ground. And he's ringing the bell all the way over the bridge. I'm thinking, listen, she's going to stop at the bus stop, girly. And eventually he does. Oh, he lets fly with a bit of a torrent. Just because he got on the wrong bus, because he was stupid and didn't check. But uh, I've seen people like that before. You'd open the doors? No. And so what they do is they, they push the emergency thing and open the doors. So very, I've seen that happen a couple of times. Very stupid people do that. Very stupid people. Um, one here, Jason, he says, I'm just having a break after my 1am start. A bloke asked me for 50p standing next to a cash machine at Wimbledon Tesco. I told him to get a job. Oh, I think they're bone idle, these people. Why do they sit by cash points? Why aren't the police removing them? Putting them in custody, leaving them there all night. You know, I, I just don't understand. They, they, they sit, sorry, they've all got... Have you noticed? Everybody who sits on the ground has got a plaintive voice. You, no, nobody can say, excuse me, do you, have, um, do you have any change? I can go and, you know, get a drink. At least in Vegas, they're honest. You see drunks slumped by the side of the road with a sign, just give me some money so I can get a drink, I'm not going to lie to you. And one of them, you can abuse me, just give me some money. Over here, so have, have you got 20p? No, of course I haven't got 20p, it's a cash point, you dipstick. It doesn't give 20p's out. Have, have you got money for a cup of coffee? No, no. Why don't you get off your ass and go and get a job? Do us all a favour. I get so cross with these people. They're so lazy. Quarter to five. London's biggest conversation. LBC. Morning, 13 minutes to five. Tuesday, it is Tuesday, isn't it? Tuesday morning in London town. JK's up early, standing in the bathroom now, contemplating his navel. Uh, he says, I can't stand baking or X Factor. I know, what is it with this baking? It's these programmes on the television, which I think are cheap programmes. Let's just assemble a kitchen and let's get some men in to cook. He says, when's David Attenborough back with a new naturist? Sorry, a new nature series. <laughs> yeah, you, see, you, can't, you can't beat stuff like that, can you? You can't be- I mean, we, we need a good hidden planet. Or an- I tell you what I would really love. I tell you what I would really, really love, and it's never going to happen in a million years, because you know that under the Arctic ice, 12 miles down, they have discovered a lake. There is a lake. And I want it to be... Like Journey to the Centre of the Earth. If you've never read the Jules Verne book, you need to read it because it's 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 boys' own stuff. 
And it's where they go into a volcano, an, uh, an inactive volcano. It would have to be. You wouldn't risk it any other way, would you? And they go down one of the, uh, one of the tubes. And when they emerge the other end, there's prehistoric life. And I want that to be like that in the Antarctic. I want them to go out there and I want them to drill down 12 miles. I mean, it would take some drilling through this ice of which, you know, some of it would be millions and millions of years old. And then at the end, I want them just to come through the ceiling and there to be a huge lake, you know, which is hidden, which has got stuff in there, which has survived for millions of years. That's, that's what I would love to happen. That would be the exciting thing. And, and Attenborough to be there commentating, saying, and this is the moment when they broke through the ice roof. And here is this 20... I think the lake is something like... I forget what it is now, actually. I, for some reason, I was going to say 24 miles across. Whatever it is, it's big. It's big enough to show up on a geophysic. So it's big enough. It's just it's so far down, they can't... You know, you can't really start digging with your bucket and spade and get down. But that's what I would like to happen. I would like them to then drill 12 miles down with all the sophisticated drilling equipment, make a big thing and put a huge lift in, and then you break through the roof of this huge ice cavern. That's what I would love to be. And there are prehistoric animals living quite happily. I would. I mean, that would be absolutely fantastic. And, uh, <laughs> and my friend Lou, who bakes... Actually, a friend of mine was baking. She's, she's got... I don't know if everybody else does that. She's got friends coming for dinner next week, eight of them. And what she's done is she's, she's running through a meal to see if she can call it, to see if she can cook it. And so she did the other night rolled pork, and she did it with something, and I cannot remember what she put in it. Because I said, I've had pork with apricots, and she says... Um, she says that, um, it, pork and apricots don't, don't work. They don't work actually very well. And, and she's did something else with it. And I can't remember, it sounded delicious. But she's, and I said, why don't you just do for people coming for dinner? People like, you know, it's nice to have something posh. I think she's going to do a boeuf bourguignon with some dauphinoise potatoes. And then she'll, because Nigella Lawson did a fantastic recipe the other day of a, um, like an eaten mess. And it was sponge covered in apricot jam. And on top of that was all this cream just piled onto the plate. It wasn't done in a bowl, on a plate. And then she put blackberries on the top, fresh blackberries. And then on top of that, the grated rind of an orange. I mean, it looked delicious. It was the ca- it was yum, yum comfort food. And I said, you should do beurf bourguignon because beurf bourguignon with little onions and meat that you can do it with some nice braising steak. And, um, and it's, it's stroganoff as well. I absolutely adore stroganoff and rice. Uh, but my friend Lou, who, who cooks as well, she tells... Well, I know she cooks, actually. She cooks very, very well. And, <coughs> and she's gone, Oi, Great British Bake Off is fab. You see, she loved, this, this is her sort of programme. She would sit down, watch this, cats, a little bit of, you know, glass of wine or something. And she said, it's the best show, and not cheap. She said, they've all got Smeg fridges. <laughs> I tell you the best fridge... Nigella Lawson's got a fridge where you just... It's like double doors. It's like opening up a pantry. It's real, And it's got that... It clunks when it closes. Absolutely fantastic. Absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. So that's the, uh, that's, that's the kind of thing we go. So that's why, you see, I know Lo- Lou loves that, uh, that baking programme. And Paul called... And he's the uh, the trade union rep from the garage where the 176 comes out of and said, can we call the manager there to give some good feedback about the bus driver? Yeah, if you can do it later. It was a lady about half past 12 driving the bus. She was good. They don't have to put up with this sort of thing. Yesterday, yeah. 
yesterday. Picked up at the Strand. I, th- I think it was about... Well, you'd have to find out what time Andy McCall left the building because I encountered him as we were both walking through Cecil Court. I'm coming through it to go to the bus stop, which is next to the Garrick. And, in fact, literally when I got there, the 176 came there and the bus driver had glasses on. She's a lady. I've seen her before because she obviously drives the 176 before. But she said, I'm not... Sorry? Hair, hair, co- hair colour? Um, oh, I don't know. Normal. Norm, whatever normal is, I don't know. But uh, but she said to this, this, this bloke, who I thought was offensive, she said, listen, I'm not losing my job, which is quite right. She absolutely was right. But it's up to you to check where the bus is going. I mean, all you've got to do, if you do find you're on a wrong bus and it doesn't go where you think, you just push the bell and you get off at the bus. I've done that before. I've got on the wrong bus for Hounslow. There's one that goes through Twickenham and there's one that doesn't. And I've sometimes got on the one that doesn't. And then I just push the bell and I get off at the stop and then I just walk back to the other stop. It's not complicated, is it? But, uh, but this one, you know, and bus drivers, it's not up to them to put up with abuse from anybody. You know, we've got a lot of, a lot of bus drivers out there who listen to this programme. Some finishing shifts, some not. But, uh, I like the 176. <laughs> I get, get so many buses, the 29s and things like that. I'm becoming quite a little expert on buses. Got me little, my little Oyster card. I'm quite happy. Frank Bruno's in the papers again today. And the reason Frank is in the papers, this started on... The weekend. It started on Sunday, where Frank had given a story to the papers about his mental illness and the fact he'd been sectioned again. And now he slammed the shameful way that people with mental illnesses are being treated by the NHS, saying many are needlessly suffering. Now, with all due respect to Frank Bruno, there is no point in going to the papers with it about this. What you should have done is go to the NHS and talk about your experiences you know, and find out. Bearing in mind, you know, he might not be in the best place possible to inquire about mental illness and the treatment of people because they're the experts. These are the people who looked after him when he was sectioned. And uh, he says, my fight now is for people who suffer like I have. Yeah, we understand that. We understand. But don't get over carried away with it. There are routes and, you know, channels you go down and people who can help. But let's not sort of think that we're the be-all and end-all and that you're the expert on it. The experts are the people who are working within. I understand they have a, a lot of trouble with mental illness. In fact, I think it was Margaret Thatcher's government that cut the funding. And we had lots of people who had mental illnesses and they were literally turfed out on the street. There was nowhere for them to go. How many times have you been out on the street and you've seen somebody talking to themselves? I mean, years ago, if somebody was talking to themselves, there was a very good chance they had a mental illness on the street. Nowadays, they've generally got a hidden earpiece and they're actually talking to a friend about what they're having for lunch. But in the early days, it was uh, you do see it a lot. You see a lot of people. The care in the community went right out the window. The community had to put up with things that the NHS wasn't doing. And when they closed down some Bernard's, which was in Ealing, which was a, a mental hospital. My, my grandmother was in there. I mean, she wasn't completely mentally ill when she went in. She never came out again because she just got worse and worse and worse and worse. And my father would go in there to visit, and I only went in there once. And there's people standing in corridors talking to walls. There's people just wandering around in their underwear. It, it was, the, the care was not there. They were doing their best, but it was such a huge, huge problem. I mean, it was, it was just terrible. Just ter- it's now a giant housing estate. But there is a section of the Ealing Hospital down there where people get sectioned. People get sectioned for misdemeanours and things like that. I don't actually know what constitutes a sectioning nowadays. Presumably somebody who they think might harm themselves or do something to them. So they, they have to section them. But I, I did visit somebody in there. And it's amazing what you can't do. They can go outside for a cigarette. You have to sit there and wait. You can't 
go with them or anything, or you can't visit their room or anything like that. It's, it's, a, it's a really, really, really strange place. I remember talking about it to Steve Pound, Labour MP for Ealing North, is it? Ealing North? And, um... I like Steve Pound, actually. I do like him. He's, he always used to speak a lot of sense to me. I might not necessarily have agreed with his politics all the time, but he used to speak a lot of sense, and he was, he was very down-to-earth. He was actually a former union leader. He was, a, he was a, a trade union leader a long, long time ago. On the subject of the subterranean lake, <laughs> Ian says if they drill down far enough, they might find Anthea Turner's career. Oh, I don't think there's enough drilling equipment in the world to find Anthea Turner's career. Having seen her on that ghastly celebrity family fortunes where she sort of, she does this, I did this and then she tosses her hair backwards and forth. You think, why don't you just go away you irritating person oh it was so awful, she is, I mean quite rightly Eamon Holmes nicknamed her Princess Tippy Toes, oh she was so, and Grant Bovey another irritant, oh god imagine two irritants in the same family, oh their best friends sadly turned out to be Richard and Judy but why is it Anthony Turner's got an irritating voice? What is it about irritating voiced people? Um, pork with spinach and mushrooms. Wow. That's quite a nice idea. Sp- pork with spinach and mushrooms. I'm not huge, actually. I'm not, I'm not sure whether or not spinach is... I can't... Could you do it with broccoli? Or does it have to be... You could, I mean, most people think pork with, uh, with apple, don't they? And spinach, spinach is nice, but I mean, I'm, I'm not subscribing to the uh, the Popeye the Sailor Man. Popeye the Sailor Man, you know, who apparently had very big muscles. I mean, I, I don't like too many muscles. It's not my kind of thing, actually. Not my kind of thing. Yeah, but I think scrawny's better. I do sometimes think, I've said the amount of times, you know when you get to a certain age and you think that the number of things you want to be, thin is a very good thing to be. I like, And yet you talk to people who are thin and they go, oh, I wish I could put on weight. And those people I hate. Those people I hate. I like my food. I like my food. And last night, I didn't, I didn't really have very much. But I did have, I bought some, uh, some raspberries. It's making my mouth water. And I just had raspberries with half-fat creme fraiche. Not that I think half-fat creme fraiche makes any difference at all. But they were quite delicious. And I suddenly realised I should have had blackberries. Because they've got a bit more taste to them than raspberries. You can't really do a lot with a raspberry. And so I just sort of piled them onto a plate. And I dropped one on the kitchen floor. And, you know, I can't find it. I can't find it. I'm sure there must be a void somewhere in everybody's... It's like trying to find... You do all the washing up, you go to empty the water out, and there's one teaspoon at the bottom. And then somebody wrote into me years ago and said, you should always take an empty milk bottle, and you put it in the washing up water, and then you sort of move it around so you can see the teaspoon. I said, my life is a little bit too short to worry about things like that. If the teaspoon gets thrown away, it gets thrown away. We, we used to have a vanishing drawer upstairs with teaspoons. Now we've got loads of teaspoons. It's like they've become like rabbits. They've multiplied upstairs. Uh, still to come, the agent who beat the Nazis' nuclear beard has died at the age of 91. A reluctant hero. And Emmerdale celebrate 40 years. Always one of my favourite soaps. Always controversial. Always good. And yet, for some reason, it never seemed to get the awards. It always went to EastEnders or Coronation Street. Never... Never to Emmerdale. Perhaps things will change. And the stars are sure of an Abbey ending. Details on Downton. After the news at five with Dan, which is next. <laughs> I'll pay you extra. <laughs> Morning! It's, I'm trying to negotiate now with get a cup of coffee. Do you know, i tell you what I really miss. I really miss... I really, really miss a water cooler. 
I miss a water cooler. I used to drink lots and lots of water. We used to have water coolers, but they cluttered the place up. And uh, we'd emptied buckets all over the place. And it was, But, I mean, I, I did miss a glass of cold water in the studio. There's one thing you need if you're broadcasting. It's either a nice cup of tea or a cup of coffee. I mean, to be honest with you, I'd quite like a toaster in the corner. I think every so often we should just have hot, hot buttered toast. Or failing that, somebody should come down and set up a hostess trolley with, with breakfast in it, which has got sausages, bacon, eggs, um, baked beans, fried bread, toast, butter, little pats of butter, some peanut butter, some marmalade. <laughs> I think I'll just leave the studio and go and sit in a hotel, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I'll be quite happy with bread. It's all, I, I discovered, actually, when we flew back from, from Vegas, you know that if you, if you do a night flight and you cross... Ten different time zones and stuff like that. It, it's it's fairly dark outside, so some people stay awake on flights and some people don't. And I'm one of those who doesn't. I'm quite happy to have have my dinner, you know, have a little drink. I'll, I'll only have water. I don't only drink water on flights. I'm, I'm not a not a drinker of alcohol on flights at all. I don't know why it's strange, that, isn't it? It's like Christmas. I never drink at Christmas. The time when everybody traditionally drinks, I'm doing the opposite. I'm not drinking because I've got to drive. And uh, I'll tell you about Christmas a bit later on in the uh, in the the month. But uh, we're, we're sort of flying back, and when you actually go to sleep, they, they 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 turn all the lights off. So the only lights that are on in the cabin are little tiny lights over people who are reading and stuff like that, who quite clearly don't feel tired. I just want to sleep. I just want to sleep. So when you get woken up, and you go, mm, luckily they're there instantly with with a cup of tea which is what you need when you first wake up. You know, you remember when you were a kid and you were going to school and your dad or your mum used to bring you a cup of tea. My dad, because he got up early, would bring me a cup of tea and you go, thanks, Dad, and then he went back to sleep again. And your mum still does it. Producer's mum still does it. See, I mean, I, I don't have that. I think that's quite a nice idea. I quite like the idea of somebody bringing you a cup of tea in the morning and sort of, or juice or water. Oh, blimey, they'll be pushing it to get juice as well. But it, my, my cup of tea used to sit there, and then ten minutes later, my dad would come upstairs and go, Stephen, have you gone back to sleep again? And you go, oh. You know, because to get ready for school is like a bit of an effort. And so it was a lick and a promise. We never had baths during the week. And I was only thinking about this the other day. Whereas now, I have a shower every morning. Or sometimes I have a shower... Every other... No, I might do one day in the week where I think... I don't have to... I've only got to go into work. I'll just have a lick and a promise wash. And then I'll just... It's beginning to sound awful, actually. My mum used to call it a lick and a promise. When you're little, she'd sit me in the sink. I think she thought I was a washing up bowl. But anyway, so... She probably thought I was most things. But... Um, and so you'd have that. So I call it a lick and a promise. And so you would, you'd have this little wash and then you'd toddle off to school. I can't even remember washing my hair first thing in the morning. And nowadays I'll do it. If I don't have any interviews to do, I don't bother. But this morning, just to wake myself up, I did, I did sit in the shower. Sit being the operative word because I have a little, little seat in the shower, which, believe you me, is a godsend. An absolute godsend. Oh, it's fantastic. I've, the, the idea of standing in the shower when you're quite tired is not very good. So I sit in the shower. I'm quite happy there. And uh, and, I was sort of, and that, it wakes you up. You need that waking up bit in the morning. I've often said the reason that kids sort of wander through school is because they've been driven there by their mums in the huge four-by-fours. And so they haven't woken up properly. They just get out of bed, put their school uniform on, and off they toddle. I'm one of these people who needs to sort of get up and get some fresh air. So the first thing I do when I get in the car is move the window down an inch, so at least I've got some air. So by the time I get here, sometimes I walk across the square, sometimes it drops me by the front door. It, it just depends. But you need that air. You need that air. You need to sort of get there. On the subject of, um, of mental health, uh, somebody wrote to me anonymously. It says, it's true. 
It's true, Steve. My community care has been cut. The social workers, the CPNs have been laid off. Now the service will be cut further. There are plans to axe the entire mental health unit from the hospital, including three wards that are overstretched for home treatment. They say if we need help, go to the next unit, which is smaller and miles away. That small unit will have to have users coming from around 20 towns. The government have cut so much mental health service. Unfortunately, only people involved in the service are feeling it and seeing it. There's been more suicides because of it. It started a long while ago. It started with Margaret Thatcher. She cut the funding to, uh, to mental health, and so people were left with nowhere to go. They were effectively out on the streets, and we had spates of people with mental illnesses out on the street who should have been being looked after by the NHS, but they weren't, because they were closing down hospitals, there weren't enough nurses being recruited to work in mental health. And it, and it became a huge, huge problem. And it's not got any better. It's not... Go- I mean, when you think that people were put in Broadmoor because they had mental illnesses... In fact, actually, when you go back far enough in Broadmoor's history, single mothers were put in there. It was considered a crime to be a single mother, to, you know, to have a child out of wedlock, and they put them in Broadmoor. I know, because my mother used to visit a uh, woman who'd been put in there as a child because she got pregnant and it was considered shameful and uh, she then became institutionalised. She didn't know. And then, just to add to your problems of being institutionalised in Broadmoor, along comes Jimmy Savile, who's got keys to the place and has photographs taken and uses it like his own recreational playground. 84850, uk. The doctor started me, Steve, on metformin and statins yesterday. I expected to at least get a leaflet and be told what to eat. Well, no, you don't need to be told what to eat. You can, fa- you know, the doctors have got diet sheets. If your metformin for your diabetes is there as a, as a diet, then, you know, you, you, you might be overweight. A lot of people, I've met a lot of people who do metformin. I know a lot of people who get given tablets and they don't I mean, use them. The whole idea is that, you know, if you have a job... And we were running this on the news yesterday on LBC, that if you sit down a lot uh, and your job involves sitting down, so that would be professional drivers, minicab drivers, taxi drivers, that would be producers, presenters, loads of people, you know, people sitting upstairs on the news. You're sitting down for a lot of your day. This can lead to diabetes because you're eating at your desk. You're not, you're not getting any exercise. At one time on, on our sister station, Capital, they do, and they still do it occasionally, I think, they, uh, they stand up to present. I don't think Dave Berry stands up. I've walked past, I've seen him sitting down. Sometimes. But the majority of people, I think, sit down. Because when you've got a studio full of people, they, somebody's trying to balance all the sound. You can't start wandering around, can you? Not like some late-night phone-in on some sort of American quasi-radio station. So we do tend to sit down. So for two and a half hours, unless I get up physically at six o'clock this morning and sort of wander out, I'm sitting down for two and a half hours. Can't be good, can it? And then I walk down the road. Well, I won't today because I've got an interview to do. And you walk down the road and then you get on a bus and you sit on a bus. So all these people, we're all, we're all getting bigger because we're not getting any exercise. I was talking to my, my driver yesterday about getting the exercise, and that's the, he said, I try and do something. I said, well, I try and do something every day. Even, but I am getting... A, I've noticed. I've, I've definitely got a bit lazier. I've definitely got... I mean, I, even... And I admit it to myself that at one time I used to... I used to walk across the, uh, the bridge to Waterloo State. I don't do that now. I don't do that. Because there's too much temptation 
down in the street that leads down to the embankment tube, and then you walk up the stairs the other side. There's all these shops doing sausages and bacon rolls. And they're like, ooh, don't do it. It's a temptation. But, but the exercise is, is very, very important. So actually, to, you know, to have tablets given to you and statins and everything else, it's good. You should take them. But the doctor doesn't necessarily have to give you a diet sheet. But they normally say to you before you take metformin, listen, you just take it three times a day or four times a day, whatever you happen to do, up, you know, up to 850 milligrams. Look at me knowing measures and everything else. And, um, and hopefully it should work. I know that when I started on metformin, at least I got some decent night's sleep. Because up until then, the diabetes was keeping me awake, I'm afraid. Karen says... My 11-year-old son showers and washes his hair every morning before school. It wakes him up and he looks bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. I live in Cardiff. When I was a little girl, my mum called what you call a lick and a promise a Swansea wash. Yeah, I don't know why we called it a lick and a promise. I don't know what the promise was. But I do remember that when we went to school at home, because we had an immersion heater, and in our airing cupboard, where my mum used to keep towels and everything else in the bed linen. It was always warm, but you had to heat up the tank. Nowadays, people have got combi boilers, so you turn on the hot tap and it's constant hot water. It doesn't run out because it's going through and it's heated as it goes through. In the early days, you would run a bath and then halfway through the bath, the water would start going cold. And you'd be going, oh, I'm going to be in real trouble because my dad wants a bath now. And sometimes you would get out the bath and sometimes your mum would say to you, leave the You've pulled the plug out, Stephen. I go, yeah, she said, your dad was going to have that water because you'd have to conserve water. I can remember at one time we put a brick in the cistern to save water so you weren't using as much water to flush. And we were also taught, and I've still adhered to it now, sometimes, uh, that when you clean your teeth, don't keep the cold tap running. The other thing is that, um, as you know, I get my coffee from Starbucks. Isn't that good? I get my, my, my coffee from Starbucks. However, Starbucks are being a little bit naughty, ladies and gentlemen. Do you know what they don't do? What do you think Starbucks don't do? You won't believe this one. This is a story to end all stories. I thought it was bad enough with the Vesti family some years ago. The Vesti family owned Dewhursts, the butchers. <laughs> Those happy days when we had a butcher on the high street. Now people buy it in the supermarket because you pay on the one credit card. And I think they had paid something like, over the whole year, less than £16,000 tax. I can't remember the exact amount. Whatever it was, for a company with a huge turnover, they had paid very little tax. So you can tell by the fact I've told you that, that Starbucks are fitting into this category. I'll tell you exactly how much tax Starbucks paid in the UK last year. In a moment. Time's coming up to quarter past five. It's Steve Allen's early breakfast. Oh, no, the seat is not cold in the shower because it's plastic. And what I tend to do is I turn the shower on and the water goes onto the seat. So, in fact, it makes it a warm seat. So there you go, you see. Just having a little bit of intelligence and you kind of solve the problem immediately. Quarter past five. Have a check on the news headlines this morning with Dan White. Computer hacker Gary McKinnon will find out later whether he'll be ex... Phil actually flew back from L.A. Christmas 79. Good Lord, what was that, a biplane or something? Outside toilet? Would you sit with the rear gunner? I love that idea. And uh, he said, the, the stewardess uh, put covers over me, woke me up ten minutes before Heathrow with toast and coffee. Oh, we never get toast. I've never heard of toast. Times have changed. They don't do toast now. We actually got woken up with a cup of tea, and then we had scrambled egg, bacon and sausage and tomato. And I tell you, it was delicious. It was, there was, it was only a small portion. It was a bit like the BBC, small checks, but it was, it was sort of, there wasn't much of it, but I tell you, it was, it was really nice. 
And, of course, very difficult when you're trying to balance plastic forks and everything else and eat in midair. So you end up holding the thing up to your mouth and eating like the Chinese do, scooping it in, which was lovely. So, how much tax does Starbucks pay, ladies and gentlemen? Answer, nothing. Not a bean in UK tax. How do they manage it? They register a loss. How do they register a loss? This is, um, in 14 years of trading... 14 years of trading, they have paid £8.6 million in 14 years. And nothing in the past three years. This is... They, they've so far run up sales of £3 billion. I'm seriously thinking of withholding my, uh, my money from Starbucks, my, my custom. I'm thinking of going somewhere else. What they use is complicated methods to minimise their profits and their tax bill. These include paying large royalties to another arm of the firm for using the brand name. And what they do now, they've racked up sales, I think in three years, of 1.2 billion. No tax. I mean, you know, it, it just beggars belief. They've got staff in there. I know what they're taking, because they tell me in the local one. Apparently, in 2011, they've posted a UK loss of £33 million. How have they managed this? This surely is incompetent business. No, no, no. No, no, no. Not at all. What they do is they pay royalties and fees to uh, let the UK coffee houses serve Starbucks products and use the labelling. It does that by registering the intellectual property rights to another division of the company, which charges royalties of 6% on each cup of coffee. In another complicated manoeuvre, Starbucks buys their coffee beans for all its European divisions for a firm based in Luzerne in Switzerland. Before the beans reach the UK, they're shipped to Amsterdam to be roasted. It's called complex tax avoidance, but it's legal. And our laws over here are so shoddy... You know, I mean, they say here, uh, experts who've now studied the figures say the supply chain is a way of pushing profits around the world. The third way in which Starbucks is thought to shrink its UK tax take is by funding its British division entirely by loans. These are taken out from another part of the group, although the company's labyrinth structure means it's not known where. The interest on these loans will be charged to the UK arm at an unusually high rate. All these practices are legal. This is all totally legal. You can get away with paying nothing by declaring a loss, by moving things around the world and having that done there and that done here. I mean, it's not ethical, whichever way you look at it. It's legal, but it's not ethical. They say here the company's US reports show it incurred a tax rate of 31% on the profits last year, but for the overseas operations, which include the UK, the company's average tax rate was only 13%. I mean, it is absolutely unbelievable. I mean, also here, we, we reported, I think, on this programme that Facebook, which is another American giant, paid only £238,000 in tax, despite raking in £175 million in revenue. Google avoided more than £200 million in tax, despite revenue of £2.6 billion. God, I tell you, I need to have a word with my accountant. Tax accountant Richard Murphy said, how could a set of rules that are so biased against small businesses be justified? I mean, that's why you do see businesses going bust left, right and centre, because they can't afford it. You know, by the time you've sold your little cups of coffee. So a group like Starbucks can happily rake in as much money as they want, and by shoving it around the world, and by charging, you know, somebody who licences this. I mean, it's quite complex. But that's what you pay a good accountant for nowadays. You pay a good accountant because they know exactly what you can claim for. I've, I've spoken to people in the business before who've had dreadful troubles with the with the tax office. 
dreadful troubles where, you know, they've not been honest. You've got to be honest with the tax office and you've got to tell them. Because they'll find out eventually. If you're registered for VAT, at one time it was all separate. The VAT department, the tax department, and never the twain shall meet. Now, you file for VAT, they know what you've earned because you've filed your VAT return. They know exactly what you've earned. You then can't come to the end of the year and say, well, actually, I only made this. Because they're going to go, no, no, no. Phil says it was Pan Am when it was an airline. Good Lord. Good Lord. And uh, one here that says, pork goes with apples, prunes, apricots, plums, fennel, peach. Try pork tenderloin with dried fruits, apricots, raisins, marmalade, brown sugar. Good God. Serve with caramelised onions and mushrooms. And pomme dauphinois. Oh, I love dauphinois potatoes. I love that. Uh, 84850, steve at get Pan Am, honestly. <laughs> the very idea that that was an airline. I, I flew back... Um, who did I fly back? Uh, it wasn't Pan Am. It might have been, might have been one of the other ones, actually. But I, all I know is it had the oldest stewardesses in the world. They were American. And the reason it had the oldest stewardesses, because the longer you'd been with the airline you got to pick your route. So the elderly ladies used to pick London because you'd fly into London, you'd get the overnight stay in London, they could do some shopping, and then you'd fly back about two days later. It was, you know, I mean, I wouldn't want to do it up there. Frankly, it frightens the life out of me, even getting on planes. I don't mind looking out the window and going, lovely, but how are we staying up here? You know, are we on strings from the almighty? The answer is no, we're not. Um, here we go. It's, uh, it's baking off. It's baking off. And uh, Dame Maggie Smith is in the paper. She said, grown-ups need more grown-up movies. She is it. She's baffled by youth obsession. She'd be a great in conversation, wouldn't she? I mean, Maggie Smith. I've just seen her in a, in a new film, the Dustin Hoffman uh, film, which is called Quartet, which is, uh, which is set in a very, very... I haven't seen it. I have seen it. I have seen it. I'm going to talk to him today, so I'm going to have to have seen it. Um, more on Jimmy Savile, and this is after a um, Kevin Cook appeared as a nine-year-old in 76 and says that he was abused by uh, Jimmy Savile. He went on the programme and he was a little cub scout and he went on the programme and he claims that uh, he was uh, abused and he says that he was lured to the dressing room with the promise of receiving a Jimmel Fix-It badge after appearing on the programme. And uh, he asked, he, he described how Jimmy Savile asked him whether he was ready to earn your badge. And uh, he then issued a chilling threat to him after he uh, touched him inappropriately not to tell anybody about the abuse and that nobody would believe him over the word of King Jimmy before letting him go. He was uh, part of a, a cub pack who appeared on there. And um, it's, it's just amazing, actually. Just amazing that uh, these details have been passed on to to the police now, that Jimmy Savile was operating, they say, over probably 50 years. It was the Broadmoor connection, though, that I didn't quite get my head around. I was talking to somebody the other day about it, saying, how on earth could anybody who wasn't a qualified nurse, who was nothing to do with Broadmoor, be given a set of keys and a house on the premises? What would be the purpose of that? What would be the, the purpose of Jimmy Savile, who was on the television, being given a house at Broadmoor, they had a picture of it in the paper the other day, and his own set of keys, and was allowed to take pictures of Frank Bruno, was it Frank Bruno, meeting the Yorkshire Ripper, Peter Sutcliffe, and Jimmy Savile was there. And you think, but who, who made that decision? Who actually, you know, decided to give him a set of keys? I can't believe it, can't believe it. The president of the Royal British Legion has quit yesterday after being caught boasting he could use his position to help arms dealers win lucrative contracts. 
And so he, uh, he had to quit. He said it made his position untenable. Lovely, thank you so much. Very nice. Very nice. I, I should... <laughs> and with a little packet of sugar as well. Oh, bless. So nice, actually. I've suddenly realised the power you have as a presenter is just unbelievable. It really is. I should do the same for you. We've got some more of those, those nuts that you like in, uh, in the toffee upstairs, but you've probably discovered them already, I should imagine. No, I bet you have. Uh, Boris Johnson is in the papers. I bet Nick Ferrari will talk about this at some point, because he said that um, it was tough when we were kids. It was tough for everybody. Uh, Boris, of course, with his father Stanley, it didn't look as though life was tough, not as we know it. He's pictured with his sister, Rachel. And uh, it's, uh, she's describing life in the Johnson family in a forthcoming book, How Rude, Modern Manners Defined. She says her parents, despite owning a 500-acre estate on Exmoor, were so tight-fisted that when they did go on holiday, it was invariably from Belgium, where they were living at the time, back to their home in England. Well, you know, as a kid, what a, blimey, you've got 500 acres to play around in an Exmoor, and life was tough. Life was tough. God, I'd love to have lived on Exmoor in a 500-acre. I keep meaning, I had a dream about it the other night. You know when you, you try, you obviously get to a certain age where you think, I'll go back to a childhood home, and I'm determined to go back to a childhood home in uh, Yorkshire just to see how much it has changed, just how much the village has changed, and whether or not I can recognise anything, and would I be brave enough to knock on the door of the house at the end of the lane where we used to live, to say to the people there, can I have a look round a house that I used to live in many, many years ago with my parents and my brother? What if how you would feel if somebody did knock on your door and say that? If somebody knocked on the door and said, listen, I know you're going to think this is really bizarre, but I used to live here 35, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, whatever it happened to be, and could I have a look around? Would somebody let you in, or would they go, certainly not, and shut the door? I don't know. I suppose it depends how you phrase it. I suppose the thing to do would be to write to them, first of all, and say, listen, you don't know me. But many, many years... I wonder if they've pulled the house down. No, they can't have pulled the house down. But I wonder what it looks like. That's what I'd like to see. I'd like to see. And apparently, we said yesterday on the programme that you could die laughing. All right? OK. And uh, you could actually die laughing. <laughs> you could die laughing. And now, apparently, even a shock can kill you if you have good news. So, in other words, when I log on to discover I've won £80 million on the lottery, on the internet, the shock of it could kill me. So what I'd have to do is sort of, sort of look half through my fingers... And pretend it only said 8 million as opposed to 80 million. Because that is the fantasy. When you think how many people you could help. So good news can, can kill you. So in fact, I'll try not to bring you any good news at all this morning on the programme. There is no point. Uh, Fearless, Fearless Felix has been up to all sorts of things, but he is Austrian. They're quite mad over there. I have to tell you, I've spent times with Austrians. They still can't manage to get toast right at all. They've got no idea. And if you ask for a salad in Austria, it comes dripping in oil. You say, dry salad? No. They don't, they're just, everything is dripping in oil. You have to hold it up for ten minutes. But, uh, but they have managed to sort of, you know, sort of managed to get the, uh, the system in McDonald's right. McDonald's turnaround is ten minutes. Ten minutes for eating in and then going off. In Austria, they had to reconvene everything because the Austrians just want to go and sit in a restaurant. Sometimes they don't buy anything, they just sit there. So you find little ladies completely dressed up to the nines just sitting there nursing a very small cup of coffee. McDonald's had to adapt very quickly. It's LBC 97.3, it's 5.30. Alan. Potato dauphinoise, cream, garlic and potato. How wonderful. How wonderful. What could eat that now, actually? Could eat that now. With fish fingers. <laughs> Actually, I, I was reading uh, about this man who plummeted 24 miles at 834 miles an hour. Uh, just crazy. He's been up to loads of things. He did it uh, off Christ the Redeemer in Rio. You know that huge 
thing that overlooks Rio, and what he did was he sort of got into the compound late at night. He 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 he, he dressed up as a businessman, but under his businessman clothes, he was wearing this black outfit. Then in the morning. He fired an arrow over the statue's arm and pulled himself up. This, well, I mean, nothing on earth. It's like climbing to the top of Nelson's column. You just wouldn't do it unless you were mad as a brush, I'm afraid. And so, and then he jumped off the uh, the top of it. I mean, he he's quite clearly one of these people who has no fear of heights. And I, unfortunately, have a huge fear of heights. I can't even stand on a stepladder without feeling a bit dizzy. I just, I just don't like it. So when I see people, there's that man who climbs the outside of buildings with no safety net. He's the human Spider-Man. He just literally, with his fingers, clings. I feel physically ill watching it. You know, a vertical building, and he will climb, and you think, what happens if it just pulls away from the building? You're going to... Oh, dear, I think better thinking about it. But um, there was one woman in 1901. She did something that, that was quite daring. She went over Niagara Falls in a barrel. At the age of 63, Annie Edson Taylor was the first person to go over in a beer barrel and live. But, you know, well, because people have to do it. But what they did, which is a bit unfair, they decided to test the theory by putting a cat in a beer barrel. So they put a cat in a beer barrel and they sent it over Niagara Falls. Now, people have walked over Niagara Falls. People have tried to go over in barrels, and they are, I think they're called the Thundering Waters or something. Whatever it is, it's quite impressive, quite impressive. But anyway, they actually tested it, and the cat survived. So she went over. She pulled off the feet on her 63rd birthday, and she said nothing but nothing is as frightening as going over Niagara Falls. Because I don't know what the drop is, but you, you're in a barrel and it's buffeted around and then all of a sudden you get to the edge and down. Now, if you hit a rock at the bottom, then quite clearly you're going to lose your life instantly. You have to hope that the, the, the thing sends you out further so that the barrel landed. I mean, I, God knows what she must have felt inside this thing. I mean, the ricochet effect in itself. But she sort of went into the water, bobbed up, and then they were there with the boats and they opened the thing and she was alive. Not the kind of thing you'd ever get me to. I mean, I'd be frightened out of my life. I would be frightened. But they've got people who do these daredevil stunts in the papers today. And you only have to have, I suppose, some sort of admiration for them. <laughs> I think it must, on be, must be on tablets or something. Uh, Russell Crowe's wife is expected to pick up about £20 million in a split. I mean, that's the advantage, isn't it, nowadays, ladies and gentlemen? That if you're going to get married to somebody, make sure they've got money. Because once they've got money and you do divorce after, I think this is nine years, uh, she could get £20 million. It kind of means that you're set up for the rest of your life. So imagine when you get the real, real super, super rich people, then it's going to be good. Oh, it's a very early picture of uh, Jamie Oliver here, looking very, very young. First, I remember meeting Jamie Oliver when he first started at the River Cafe. I mean, he's now so big, but I interviewed him and Victor Lewis Smith had done a piece on him in the paper. And I said, Victor Lewis Smith has done this really good piece on you in the paper. He said, really? I said, yeah, really, he's done a good piece on you. And he was very ordinary, very, very ordinary at the time. But now, what, what are customers stealing? Not just the door, the, the, the toilet furniture, which we reported, napkins. They steal Jamie Oliver napkins. So, in other words, they get there and it's got Jamie Oliver. And they sneak it off the table, into your handbag. 30,000 a month. 30,000 napkins a month. The thing to do... I mean, you, I mean, you, you can actually uh, buy a pack of four embroidered with the words Jamie's Italian for eight quid. But people prefer to nick them. So, consequently, my advice is don't... don't 
don't put your name on them anymore. Because otherwise, you know, people are going to pinch things. If it's got a name on it and it looks posh, then they're going to, they're going to pinch, I'm afraid. They're going to pinch. Uh, 84850. Roger says, uh, if you turned left when you got on the plane, you'd have got metal knives and forks, not plastic. That's reserved for cattle class. No, we, we, we did turn left, actually, Roger. We did turn left. You've quite clearly never been virgin upper class because for breakfast they do serve you plastic. We got metal for all the other things, but for breakfast they serve plastic. You quite clearly haven't, haven't flown very often. But, uh, of course, you're now going to write back and go, Ooh, I fly all the time. Well, quite clearly, not virgin, you don't. Uh, 84850. Alison says, I'll tell you something about Starbucks. That's the short cappuccino, which is an eight-ounce beverage that you'd never know about because it's not on the menus or ever advertised. The smallest cappuccino Starbucks start with is tall which is a 12-ounce drink. However, the short 8-ounce size has the same amount of espresso as the tall, meaning that your coffee-to-milk ratio is much higher and perhaps preferable. But you have to know about it and specifically ask, because it's not on the menu. Apparently, they're obliged to offer this size, but try not to serve it in order to keep profits up. I don't even... Do they have... Do they have separate cups, then? Because I thought tall was the only one. They have them as kids... Ah, kids' cups. So the... See, I always have grande. So, in other words, the, the short 8-ounce size. But it's not up on the board, so how much is the price for that? There you go. Try that today, ladies and gentlemen, in your local stub. Let's see whether they oblige. It's been that way for a number of years. Apparently, she says, uh, one radio station had an undercover journo go in and try to order one. And lo and behold, this new size cup of coffee su- suddenly appeared from under the counter. Oh, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Let's move my coffee. So, somebody want to go and try that for us today in Starbucks? Try, try doing a uh, a short cappuccino. I wonder what that would... Ca- now, that's very interesting. I mean, that that would be a super thing for you all to try. I, I, I bet you, honestly, one of the newspapers will be listening to this this morning going, short cappuccino in Starbucks. Let's try it. Let's try it. Come on. I know there's lots of journos who listen to this programme, always worrying about n- doing new things to try and expose something, and that would be, that would be a nice one. Uh, 84850. Uh, very windy in rural Essex, says David. Uh, he says, uh, and uh, watched Emergency 999 last night. Very sad, listening to people, uh, schizophrenics, ringing for help. Not good, is it? Uh, why have all these people waited till now to come out and speak about Jimmy Savile, says uh, one here. Are they after a criminal payout? I knew and met Jimmy Savile over 20 years ago, and he was never but a lovely man. Unfortunately, proven not, I'm afraid. <laughs> Unfortunately, proven not. Might have been, but uh, but as you know, you know, a, uh, a serial abuser, and uh, it went on for... For years and years, fifty years they reckon, fifty years, and it didn't, uh, it didn't get any better. It just got worse. There's pictures in the papers today, which which just aren't, you know, aren't uh, good enough. Uh, Continental Airlines have old ladies, Steve. Thank you. Uh, how about Freddie Laker and the Sky Train? Yes, and uh, I mean that <laughs> that was it. What did he do? New York for ninety nine quid, ninety nine pound. Freddie Laker. I remember. I remember. Uh, another one here. Vivin Enfield, she's uh, finalising her husband's compensation, all due to lack of mental health care five years ago. She said, it's been a long, hard fight, but we've had a great moral victory, as the mental health service have at long last apologised for the lack of care. It goes on all the time, but you and LBC have got me and my mum through many a sleepless night. 
It's what we like to. I don't like sleepless nights. I don't mind people having sleepless nights as long as they're listening to LBC. Uh, Dawn says, why don't the government stop sending money overseas and give school children breakfast like we used to get at school? We used to have milk. Yes, we did used to have milk. The little crates, milk or little orange juice. Uh, why don't you go to Google Street View to see what your old house looks like? Well, unfortunately, Lawrence, uh, it's in the middle of nowhere. It's just down the end of a long lane, so I don't think it's going to actually feature at all, I'm afraid. Um, her, um, have you seen the film about the man who walked on the wire between the Twin Towers? Yes. Yes. And, um, and John says, uh, my, uh, father visited his old family home a couple of years ago. He was warmly welcomed, and, um... He recognised a cupboard he'd painted in 1944 with his mother and hadn't been done since. He, needless to say, didn't mention it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yes, exactly. Nobody's changed. Nobody's changed at all. And uh, it's the news that Downton Abbey's female fans have been hoping to hear since he first appeared as brooding valet John Bates. But Brendan Coyle says he's finally ready to settle down and is looking for a meaningful relationship. So they get, isn't everybody looking for a meaningful... Uh, name of the village. I'm not telling you on air. I'm not telling you on air. No chance. No chance of people turning up outside the door of this poor people's house. Definitely not. No. I shall, I shall, I shall, I shall try and Google it a little bit later on, actually, and, uh, and see if, if it does appear on there. I don't think it does, for, for the simple reason being that we were at the end of a, of a lake. It was so rural... I love rural. Uh, Noreen uh, says, uh, send our love to Kevin, please, from his friends. And uh, very exciting. She says that Mark Armand is a fan and Hugh Bonneville. Yes, we have lots of people. Of course, we've got Michael Caine as well. Michael Caine as well listens to the programme and JK and everybody else. with all sorts of lovely people out there, which is good. And uh, so it's nice having famous listeners, Noreen. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Nick Ferrari this morning. Uh, Quentin Letts. Is looking through the papers. He's the political columnist for the Daily Mail. It's uh, D-Day for Gary McKinnon. As later on, he'll find out whether he faces extradition to America. Nick will be speaking to an American who's adamant that extradition is only fair given the seriousness of the crime that he's charged with. Nick also speaks to a teacher who's feeding her class out of her own pocket. And should smoking be banned in private cars? I mean, I'm tempted to say yes, but I mean, if it's a private car, what next? You can't smoke in your own house. What I always worry about is people smoking in a car with the windows done up, with kids in the back seat or somebody in a in a baby seat. That's what I worry about. You do get low low rent people, uh, and so and you'll never ban smoking in in private cars. There's not the police have got more than enough to worry about without somebody coming up with this crackpot idea that we're going to stop smoking in private cars. You know, you still get somebody smoking on the tube nowadays. People who've had, you know, more than a few few drinks. It's not good. Uh, full review of the papers, all with Nick Ferrari, just after the news at 7 o'clock this morning. I love the idea that a teacher, how she's affording it, is actually paying for breakfast for the kids because apparently kids go to school hungry. You know why? It's, it's got nothing to do with the fact the parents can't afford it. It's because they get up too late. They get up way too late. So they get up, put the things on, and that's why whenever we... Uh, we go to Starbucks in the morning. If I do go to Starbucks in the morning, there's kids buying all sorts of things in there. And you think, how can they afford it? These kids' parents must be absolutely loaded. You watch kids buying, you know, the big drink with the cream on and the crushed nuts and the... Oh, everything. Ridiculous. Quarter to six. Let's have a check on the news headlines this morning with Dan Whitehead. Gary McKinnon, who admits hacking into US... 
I like this Google street map thing. We're now trying to find where I used to live. It'd be funny if it's still there, isn't it? I mean, you, I'll put it this way, you, they wouldn't have pulled it down. It was built in 1700 and something on the roof of our house. It was done in tiles, 1700. And under our stairs, we had a smuggler's tunnel. Smuggler's tunnel. Sounds a bit archaic, doesn't it, really? But uh, we, and we were quite close to the sea as well. Scary in itself. Uh, I'm cabin crew for Virgin, says Trevor. I wish you were on my flight. He says, we do use metal for breakfast. For a while, after 9-11, we did use plastic. I'm sure, we, to be honest with you, I can't remember what we did have it off. I'm convinced it could have been metal. I don't know, it comes wrapped in a napkin. I'm never too sure about these things. Uh, brilliant programme, says Sharon. Always listening. Listening on TV and you stopped me from sleeping. Went back to two childhood homes, just rang the bell and asked. Amazing experience. Also saw round the parents' first home in Wales. I'm, I want to do it. I really want to do it. I want to drive up there and I, I don't want to be sort of... I don't want to be rude to them. So perhaps I thought, I don't know who lives there. You don't... You know, should you sit outside in the car and watch because it's at the end of a little lane... And is the field still there? Is the tree that I played on there? You know, will there be honey for tea and that kind of stuff? But it'd be funny to go back there because that's, you know... And we didn't have much of a garden. Um, I couldn't... No, I don't think it was on that road. No, that was where my father was based there. He was based at that first name. But um, the other thing we didn't have, we didn't have a bathroom. The house was so old, we didn't have a bathroom. We had a tin bath that went in the sitting room... Well, sorry, it went in the dining room... And my mother would fill it up from from the copper. God, it sounds ancient, doesn't it? It sounds like it was so far ago, but it was it was that's how you had your your baths in the in the early days. So we didn't have baths very uh, very often, I'm afraid. Uh, Tanzanite. Oh, somebody telling me all about Tanzanite. Thank you very much indeed. This is the stuff that they flog on the jewellery channels. I said before, you know, they go, oh, it's so rare. And this ring is £20. I thought, can't be that rare, can it? And it's rarer than diamonds. Yeah, that's why it's so cheap. So cheap. Uh, short cappuccino, still dearer than a jar of mellow birds and won't make you smile, says Pat. We're going to find out about this. We're, we're, we are going to find out about the short cappuccino. Uh, Paul from Rugby. He says, converted to listening to your show by a young cabin crew lady called Sue... We'll be driving to Heathrow as we speak. Please say hi to her. Thank you, Paul, in rugby. Rugby all sounds quite nice. Uh, 850-stevedlbc.co.uk. A lot of people talking about Dauphinois potatoes, which I absolutely love. I love. Uh, 84850-steve at lbc.co.uk. Uh, Janet says, you're very hungry this morning. You've made my mouth water now with beef stroganoff and Dauphinoise potatoes. Morning to Neil and Lindsley and Winnie, who are up and about. I expect everybody to be up and about at this time. Um, and it was Margaret Thatcher who took away the free milk for kids. So, in fact, she was taking away all over the place. There was a picture of her in the paper yesterday with uh, Mark, the errant son. You know, that's why he got lost in the desert. It was a bit of a waste of space, actually, always. I never actually liked Mark Thatcher at all. I remember when he came into LBC to be interviewed, we had to have the police in there with guns on the roof to protect him. Carol used to cycle in on a bicycle, put her bicycle up against the railings and come in. Mark Thatcher was the ego from, uh, from hell, I'm afraid, as far as I'm concerned. So we're trying to find out this morning whether or not you can actually get a short cappuccino. As opposed to a 12-ounce drink, an 8-ounce, we're, we're reliably informed that you can... So, um, so that would be very, very interesting. Uh, 84850, uh Another one here. Oh, actually, the weather, in case you've just woken up this morning. I'm afraid it's, uh, it's not going to be brilliant. It's going to be a bit wet later on today and windy as well. 
Most places should stay dry, but just prepare yourself for a little bit of rain. In fact, when I woke up this morning, it was raining, but the time I left, it had stopped, but everywhere was wet. Currently 10 degrees. It's got, uh, it's got colder. Maximum 15 degrees today. And uh, tonight, dry and mostly clear. After midnight, cloud and rain. Sometimes heavy. Doesn't bother me. I'm always asleep. And tomorrow, rain heavy in places, continuing to move away eastwards, perhaps taking until early afternoon to clear. The further three-day forecast, Thursday, Friday and Saturday, generally unsettled with showers or longer spells of rain, likely, although Friday may be the driest day with the least showers. It's nice, isn't it? Actually, I bought some, some plants before I went away to, to Vegas. I've still not planted the things yet. They're still sitting there in their trays, but with all the rain, they're, they're happily growing along, which is good news. Uh, Roger says, actually, right, I do fly regularly. I'm cabin crew and uh, with Virgin Atlantic, and there's no plastic knives and forks in upper class for anything. Only in cattle class, you surely turned right. Uh, we didn't turn right. We turned left, popsikins. And I don't be a cabin crew with Virgin Atlantic. You're obviously one of those nasty little queens up there, are you? Are you the one? Not my aisle. Can't touch any of that, I can imagine. Gary says, nice jog or walk, very good for you. And uh, the start of a new fitness regime. It's a, it's a Twickenham 10 kilometre. Oh, God. I don't know why people want to go on these walks. Why do you want to do it? I know it's healthy. I do see... Jo- but they always look miserable joggers. You'd be walking down the, the pavement, clutching your cup of coffee. They'd be like, excuse me, excuse me, as they try to get through. Oh, dreadful. But the, uh, the secret of Starbucks, she says... Um, she says, it'd be nice if uh, some of your callers tried to purchase the short coffee and let you know the result. Well, we should, people, we'll, we're going to try it ourselves this morning. And try it this morning. If it doesn't work, of course, we're coming back and suing you, okay? You know, for upsetting us. Uh, we're not, we're not, we're not, um, you know, against taking people to court. And uh, all this talk of food, I'm afraid, says little Julie, you make it all this bacon rolls. Does that mean you can have one on the way home this morning? If only I have to. I'm recording an in conversation today. And by the time I finish the in conversation, they've sold out of bacon rolls, which is good news. I mean, because otherwise, it's, it, it, we have been a bit addicted in the past. And then somebody pointed out how many calories there were. In fact, the boss pointed out, he's, he's obsessed with calories. He cares to tell you how many calories there are in things, and it's, it becomes quite depressing. I try not to look at things at all. Uh, Sue Hansen, back on TV last night, says Paul. Emmerdale, 40 years on. I was off school when it started, having had my tonsils out the day before. It's changed a bit. Hardly the story of everyday farming folk. Well, it's, it, they don't mention farming at all, do they? Is anybody in the programme in Emmerdale involved in farming? Answer... I don't think so. Whereas it used to be, Annie Sugden and the family would sit round the kitchen table and you'd see, you know, the cattle out there and the cows and sheep. You don't see that at all in Emmerdale. It either revolves around the garage, Kane, who's quite clearly the, uh, the village bikey, who's a very nasty little piece of work, who rules by fear and intimidation, the, the pub where they're mainly drunk... And uh, unmarried people, the suicides. There's Marlon, who's never cooked anything in the kitchen in his entire life. I've never seen such a clean kitchen. Mainly because there's never any... Co- they don't have any cooking in that programme. The vet, who's mad as a brush. And, uh, and lots of people getting pregnant by various people. And a, and a sweet factory where, to be honest with you, if they've ever managed to sell anything, I'll eat the furniture. They've never done anything. None of it. You know, a, a bed and breakfast that survives on one customer a year. How they survive in this place at all. So it's got nothing to do with farming, which was a shame, because it was... It, well, I suppose, really, you'd have to agree with them, because it's now called Emmerdale. It used to be called Emmerdale Farm. Now it's not. It's, it's just... just Emmerdale. Some this morning on the front page. Uh, Jimmy Savile. Uh, and, uh, I'm afraid, more on 
Twilights, Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson, pictured together for the first time since rekindling their broken relationship. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I cheated on you loads of times. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I can twist you around my finger. I'm so sorry, I really love you. Oh, blimey, there's lies and lies and lies, I'm afraid. Um, the producer of uh, Emmerdale, Stuart Blackburn, is crossing the Pennines to take over in Corrie, as we mentioned a few days ago. And apparently he's going to start wielding the axe, uh, much in the style of Brian Park, who dispatched several characters but was wrongly blamed for the demise of Derek Wilson. Yes, I mean, Derek Wilson. But that decision, I thought, was taken before he actually took over. Derek Wilson, who's, who's lovely, and I think owns Pollock's, the toy shop in Covent Garden, where they make the, the toy theatres. So we'll see. He says, either I think Mr Turner or Betty Eggleton may exit. Oh, good. <laughs> Sorry, I never liked Betty Eggleton's character. I just thought she was bad acting. It's, it's an awful thing to say, isn't it, when you watch somebody and she and she talks, you know, a bit like that. In fact, actually, that was even, that was I was uncannily like her, uncannily like her. So I was sort of I was sort of watching it the other day, thinking you you could in theory lose her from Emmerdale. It wouldn't make any difference because she's now not very well in real life, and I don't think Mr. Turner is either. And uh, how about um, Kelvin Fletcher, Andy Sugden? This is the bloke whose body is 400 times bigger than his head and spends a lot of his time with his shirt off. They, they do a lot to try and get some interest in the programme going. I thought just good storylines would be all that we, uh, you know, that we wanted. So who are we going to lose from Emmerdale? I don't know. When the new producer arrives, he'll probably look at the storylines. I mean, you could lose Marlon. You know, the man who doesn't cook in the pub. I've never, I mean, he just wanders out with a plate, but there's no mess on him. His, his, his whites are absolutely pristine, which means he's not actually doing the right kind of uh, cooking. I wouldn't want to go there for a sausage and chips, let me tell you. I'd be wanting to go there. You know, like, at least in Corrie, you've got Betty's Hot Pot, which at least is something worth worth travelling for. Because I haven't had Hot Pot for ages. That very idea of just slicing your vegetables and uh, putting it all in there with a nice layer of potato over the top. And also, have you ever seen anybody eat? They order it, but nobody eats food in there. Nobody eats food. I used to feel very sorry for people eating in Coronation Street. On the odd occasion, you saw somebody eating in that ghastly cafe run by the bloke and his transvestite wife, or his transsexual wife, who isn't really a transsexual at all. It's a woman pretending to be a man, uh, pretending to be a woman who's had a sex check. Oh, it's all bizarre, isn't it? How they never realised this, I've got no idea. But they don't. They don't. Um, more on uh, Ryland Clark. A rather silly waste of space, I'm afraid, in the papers. Have you ever seen anything so stupid? You know, and this is supposed to be a singing competition. Let's get rid of this singing Nancy boy as quickly as possible, ladies and gentlemen, and get back to a singing competition, which is what it's all supposed to be about. No more bad acting from Gary Barlow. No more silly comments from the pantomime dame Lulu Walsh, you know, with the picking up on the on the loose cannons. And the people who behave badly sets a very bad example. And Vinnie Jones apparently has now been pictured with another beauty, as reported on this programme yesterday. His wife, Tanya, is not at all happy. Not at all happy. I say beauty. I'm looking at the pictures of them. Beauty would be pushing it a little bit, I'm afraid. One is a model called Lama. I pronounced it Llama yesterday because I thought she looked more like a llama than anything else. But uh, she's not really a beauty, but that's, that's Russian models for you. Most of them look like shot putters from the Olympic Games, you know, trying all these strange things. Anyway, we'll take a short break for the news at 6 o'clock. It's LBC 97.3. Steve Allen's early breakfast. Nice to have your company this morning. On FM, Steve Allen. I was asking what Dale's act was going to be. This is the... Uh, the uh, bloke who's going to go on Britain's Got Talent. Well, he's, he's got the invite. Whether it makes it to the television, I don't know. And I've said, but what is the act on Britain's Got Talent? And he's described it as... He said, the only way I can describe it is novelty comedic singing. 
Oh dear, it's got Kiss of Death on it already, I'm afraid. Novelty comedic singing. What does that mean? Does that mean a funny song? Or, oh, I don't know. Not, not to worry, it could be on tablets, I don't know. Uh, Martin says, no hot pot, Betty's dead. No, they're still doing it. They still call it Betty's Hot Pot. They've still got it on the menu. They haven't taken it off just because she's died. I know she's not cooking it. Mind you, she never cooked it, did she, poor soul? But, uh, oh, no, we, we, we do miss Betty Driver. Uh, Emmerdale, two farms. Good. Uh, Jay says, my granddaughter's school served breakfast every morning, cost £1.86. I was slightly perturbed. You know, we're, we're running the story on the news about kids are not having breakfast. And then I, it was a survey run by Kellogg's. And I started thinking, well, you know, not everybody has cereal in the morning full of sugar. You know, the idea in the morning, or piece of toast. I've seen people, I've told you before, I've seen people walking to the station eating toast. They walk out the door with a piece of toast. I mean, who walks down the road eating anyway, apart from common chavs? You know, there's no other reason for walking down the road eating. It's disgusting. You know, you sit down and eat. It's very bad for you to walk and eat, I'm afraid. Uh, I did see Sue Hansen from Crossroads. Well, I didn't see her. I knew she was going in. We reported on the programme ages ago that Sue Hansen from Crossroads was going in to... Uh, is, is she gone into uh, Emmerdale or uh, or in uh, Corrie? She's in Corrie, isn't she? Good. I'm so pleased for her. I'm so pleased. She's lovely. I loved her. Of course, she was married to Carl Wayne of The Move, who uh, was a good friend to the programme. Very good friend to the programme. Uh, more in the papers today on uh, on Jimmy Savile. Uh, somebody's saying to me, where is the proof? Well, the, the proof is that 340 people have come out and said that they were touched inappropriately by Jimmy Savile. It was well known. It was well known. You don't have to have proof now. You only have to have an overwhelming amount of evidence and uh, to suggest that Jimmy Savile was a serial predator of young girls. Uh, there is also one boy in the paper today, and there was another boy the other day. I don't believe he interfered with boys. I don't know why. We, we never heard stories about boys. We just heard stories about, about young girls, and they were young girls. There's the picture in the paper today of the 11-year-old. Uh, who was sort of given a present from him, and he's kissing her hand. In a, it's inappropriate. At the time, it might not have been seen as inappropriate, but uh, but it was. I didn't see Binky and Made in Chelsea, because that was back last night. Uh, I, don't, I don't think they're getting the figures. I don't think they're actually getting the audience figures. But, in fact, uh, Caggy Dunlop has actually been filmed for, for a new advert, and it's, it's this impulse. You know when a man... You know, buys you impulse or gives you a bunch of flowers. It's because he's too tight to do anything else. And uh, and then he buys you this body spray. He's basically saying, you've got B.O. and here's some spray for you. And so she's appeared in that one, which is quite sweet, with some some bloke. And uh, that'll be on the television very shortly. But uh, Spencer is back with us, having failed in his, uh, his attempt to actually forge a career on television as a presenter. We suddenly realised that, uh, that Spencer couldn't... Sorry, uh, sniffy today. Couldn't uh, actually sort of manage anything on the programme at all. But um, I'm going to try and catch up with it. I'm going to try and catch up with it. I know it's, it's, it's not necessarily sort of going to be my... Because I'm going to be annoyed, but my friend Graham knows quite a lot of the cast. Yeah, because he actually drinks in one of the pubs in, in Chelsea where they go. And uh, he's fairly ancient, and so but he, he he mixes in in these sorts of circles. I must try and watch it actually, because I've suddenly realised that the only way is Essex. They've come up with nothing new. The uh, the cast and the producers have really not made any effort at all to come up with new storylines. And also, I don't think that any of the current crop of the only way is Essex cast have actually got the intelligence to learn anything else. So we've still got silly little girls, blouse Joey Essex, hanging around with uh, with Kirk. 
who frankly is a bit of a waste of space. And uh, you've still got the girls still over made up like tarts, still promoting their little boutiques and still sitting down having waste of space conversations. You've got the foul mouthed Gemma Collins, who's still being quite nasty. Arge is still eating enough for a whole family of six. And um, what else goes up? That's about it. It's the same things each time. They need to come up with something different. They've got to come up with something that sort of shows them in a different light. Because it's no good, you know, somebody from the Only Way's Essex writing to me saying, but I'm a businesswoman. That's what Lydia Bright started doing. I'm a businesswoman. I said, well, you're coming over. It's a bit thick on the programme. It's not your fault. You know, that's the way you're portrayed and that's the way you are. But if you you don't, you know, like the criticism, don't appear on the programme. And at least the, the girls in Chelsea are naturally good-looking, whereas if you see the ones in The Only Way is Essex, they do look like over-made-up Thai ladyboys, especially poor, poor Chloe Sims, who, I mean, couldn't get arrested if her life depended on it. I mean, they're, they're all looking a bit ancient and haggard. Nobody goes out dressed like that in the day in Essex unless you're either a working girl or, failing that, you're a little bit desperate. And so I think desperate would be the word that, you know, and the fake tans, Lauren Goodyear. I mean, luckily she's out of it at the moment. They don't miss her. They don't want her in there. But you've still got to come, as we've got the Strictly Come dancing programme, with a lot of people you've never heard of, including Colin Salmon again. I'm so sorry to keep mentioning him, but they keep saying, oh, from the Bond movies. And I watched Lorraine Kelly fawning over him the other day. And he's like seven foot three, and she's two foot nothing. And it was just it was a funny combination of heights. And uh, But I, I just, I don't ever remember seeing him in the films. And then somebody wrote to us this morning saying that apparently he was considered for Bond, but obviously he wasn't good enough because he didn't get to the job. And uh, so that's that. But you have, you have to sort of watch these programmes because it... it Makes life a little bit more interesting. Uh, Richard says, now you've done it. By the time I get to Waitrose, they'll be sold out of beef stroganoff and potato dauphinoise. I know, I have done this before. We had a lot of trouble before with mentioning certain foods in certain supermarkets and they sold out. (laughs) In fact, I got annoyed because I used to... I was trying to get hold of things, but I've noticed that the Heston Blumenthal Christmas puddings are on sale already. Now, I, I don't want to sort of... I haven't checked the sell-by dates, whether or not they do last you over Christmas, but my advice would be to buy one in advance, because it's not like a Christmas pudding that you've had before. It's got a crystallised orange in the middle, which you just cook, and it's it's a different sort. You know, mainly Christmas puddings are a bit stodgy and heavy, so you need a small bit. This isn't. It's actually quite light and quite nice, but we had a lot of trouble, if you remember, trying to buy them the other year. They sold out. They had started the advertising. They never had enough. Heston said to me, he said, you know, we just weren't prepared for the volume. And I said, well, then why did they bother doing an advertising campaign, knowing that they didn't even have them to sell people? I mean, I drove all over the place. I mean, how desperate was that? How stupid was I? Driving all over the country. I went down to Brighton to see a friend of mine for lunch, and I said, we'll just nip into Waitrose. And so I said to one of the boys, I said, oh, do you have any... Trying to be casual about it, you know, I don't want to make it look like I was desperate. Uh, do you have any of those um, Heston Blumenthal? Because I've got other things. Christmas puddings? And he went, oh, yes. I went, oh, can't believe it, can't believe it. So he walked over and he went, oh, no, they've all sold. Well, I nearly hit him. I nearly hit him, but luckily I'm not that kind of person. And so I went all over the place to try and find a Heston Blumenthal Christmas pudding and didn't get it. And last year I got loads of them. So uh, my advice is, and, they, and they've got the, the mince pies on sale already. Be very careful. The mince pies in Marks and Spencers, the sell-by date's about a week away. So don't, don't bother buying them, thinking you can have them for Christmas. The only ones you can have for Christmas are the Walkers ones, because they've got whiskey in. And the whiskey is a preservative. LBC 97. Uh, somebody uh, just texted me saying, uh, I, uh, I used to leave the house with toast for school. There was no time to sit and eat. Well, get up earlier. 
Don't be so stupid. I've never heard anything so ridiculous. You've got to leave the house with a piece of toast. There was some woman standing on Twickenham Station a couple of months ago with Marmite on toast. Go. Dear me, honestly, dreadful. Uh, 84850-stevedlbc.co.uk. One here says, out the depot at 6.15 today. Little bit slippy. Leaves on the line. It really is slippy. I know, we can't cope with leaves on the line. Why don't we just get a train that's got a fan blower at the front? We go, but, I mean, it's just... Have you ever heard anything like it? I like the idea of breakfast every morning for £1.86, but it's for little children. They don't eat much, do they? Two, two cocktail sausages and some beans, and that, they're, they're probably quite happy on uh, that. Somebody said to me the other day, the best diet for losing weight at the moment is the no-carbs diet, which is no bread, no pasta, no rice. In fact, no anything at all. I mean, you can, you can have scrambled egg and smoked salmon, and... Scrambled egg and smoked salmon. And I think you can have cream as well, but you can't have any of the things that you like. So cheese on toast, which is delicious at any time. You can't have anything that's got bread in it, anything. That, I mean, the, the base, nothing. A friend of mine went out the other day, he said, can we stop? We were going somewhere shopping. He said, can you stop? He said, I'll just dip into Tesco and buy something to eat. So what did he come back with? Packet of cashew nuts. Packet of cashew. I said, he said, would you like some nuts? I said, no, I'm diabetic. They're very fatty. He said, yeah, but, but the fat's all right in cashews. Because I thought, oh, I quite like cashew nuts. But that's all he ate. He was eating cashew nuts and something else, and that was it. Because my other friend, Daryl, has lost loads and loads of weight, and he's gone down, you know, various sizes. But it's, it's like anything. It's like the giving up of cigarettes. It's really, really difficult to do. It's, in fact, it's very difficult to do. I managed it. But I failed first time round, but then managed it second time round, and now I consider myself a non-smoker. But believe you me, I could go back on them tomorrow. In fact, I dreamt about it the other night. This is about 12 years down the line, which is not very good. Uh, 84850, uk. Colin Salmon, says Adrian, makes small appearances in two Piers Brosnan Bond films. He seconded to M, not much of an impression. He says Costco have their Christmas cakes in store now. Well, they've had them in store for ages. I bought, I bought um, mince pies, the, uh, the Walker's mince pies. They've got the Glenfiddich in. I bought them more than five weeks ago. So the cakes have been around for ages and ages. <laughs> and Richard says, I've just found a Christmas pudding dated June 2010. I think it's got to go, don't you? Do you not think it's, it's got to go? <laughs> it's no, I don't believe you, you can actually hang on to that one at all. I, th- I, I wouldn't personally risk it. I personally wouldn't risk it. Uh, also, Adrian says, the best shop uh, bought Christmas cake. My wife is better. But uh, it's full of fruit. What do you? I mean, I think the best thing to do is to buy a shop cake and inject whiskey into it. That's that's what you should do. Buy a shop bought cake, put whiskey into it, and then leave it, because that's that's the best type of cake as far as I'm concerned. Whiskey filled cake. I love whiskey filled cakes. They do it. I can't make a Christmas cake. There'd be no point. My mother used to make a Christmas cake, and it was lovely. But we seem to be eating it up until about April. It just went on forever and a day. We brought out the same little Christmas tree on the top of it, the same little snowman, the same little sledge. It was all on there. But, I mean, so I believe in buying it. It's cheaper to buy them. By the time you've turned on the oven and heated it up, it's, it's just, you know, go and buy it. Take off a few of the decorate, put your own on and pretend you made the thing. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. You can always tell fibs. Just keep your fingers crossed when you're, when you're telling people. <laughs> so Colin Salmon, far from being star of the Bond movies, is no such thing at all. M's assistant. Not really particularly good. So, with Nick Ferrari in uh, about 37 minutes' time this morning, D-Day for Gary McKinnon, who's going to find out whether he faces extradition to America. It's gone on for ages, this one. He claims, I think, he was looking at the site to find out about UFOs, and they've said, no, he hacked into it. 
And um, it, it's interesting. I mean, I mean, there is a, a, a perception here that the extradition treaty is biased, and America's never turned down an extradition. He's been charged with something serious. If he's charged with a crime that meets the standard of proof, why is he still here? He has family in Washington. I mean, what if, if there had been an attack when McKinnon had taken down security? He's being portrayed as an innocent victim. This is, uh, Tom Rogan will say this, a blogger based in London. But it was a really serious charge. So they'll be uh, talking about that with Nick Ferrari. Quentin Letts, I'm delighted to say, is looking through the papers this morning and uh, hopefully trying to not mention the fact that Jimmy Savile is uh, still in the papers. Uh, Nicole Scherzinger going out for dinner with Louis Walsh and uh, Richard Holloway. Oh, it's becoming a bit incestuous, this one now, isn't it? A little bit incestuous. Going out. I don't know where, where they went to, but hopefully Mr Holloway found a seat at Mayfair's Sea Restaurant. Have you noticed? Everybody seems to be going to Mayfair's Sea Restaurant. They had Cheryl Cole in there the other day. Cheryl Cole. I've often said any restaurant that lets Cheryl Cole in again, you know, wouldn't be my sort of restaurant at all. Uh, don't go back smoking, Steve. I'm smoking again after seven years non-smoking. It's terrible. No, I mean, I, I, I couldn't now. I'd be far too short of breath to even consider smoking a cigarette. But I, I just say that the, the, the prospect is there and the... Uh, the fact is that smoking is very, very addictive. In fact, smoking is more addictive. They actually tested smoking and you can see the effects of it quicker in the brain than heroin. It's that addictive and yet they happily sell it out on the street. Betty passed her hot pot recipe over to Sean Tully. He makes it now. Encouraged her. Yes, I, I knew they hadn't stopped selling Betty's hot pot. That was part of the part of the legacy that they were that they were sort of selling to people. Uh, the, the, the low-carb diet, says Mark, is basically Atkins. I know. I never did... Um, I never did Atkins diet. I had a friend of mine who was on it, and all he ate was scrambled egg. You know, and as far as I'm concerned, diets are boring. Diets don't work. People stop. You've seen all these celebrities. Coming up to Christmas, they're all... I mean, can you believe that Amy Childs has got a, you know, a fitness DVD out? I wouldn't waste your money. Why would you want to waste your money? Some people are naturally thin. They don't do anything. You know, we've had a few half-hearted attempts. They do it, and they hopefully sell it to fat people who think that if you do this, the weight's going to fall off you. No, no. They're doing it for about 150,000 quid coming up Christmas. There'll be loads of them. We'll start reeling them off for you, because believe you me, probably in about two or three weeks, they're going to start bringing these things out, and I'll have to start advising you not to, uh, not to worry about it. Susan Bookbinder with the uh, morning news. The Hillsborough Witnesses at the Select Committee today. Uh, they'll be talking again about the uh, the McKinnon extradition. It's D-Day there. And uh, breast cancer cases set to rise in old age uh, people. And they'll have uh, Hazel Brody on, who's an expert at Macmillan Cancer. Plus uh, changes to boundary proposals. And uh, the Great Storm, 25 years... Was that today or was that yesterday, the Great Storm? 25 years. It was today, is it? We were, we were remembering yesterday when you went outside there and everything was blown down, trees were down, fences were down. My auntie Enid's caravan was upended, poor soul. Honestly, she was in bed at the time. Nasty shock for her. But uh, just about it. I've all but given up bread, stopped picking and snacking, eating healthy, started swimming. I've lost a stone, says Sarah, in six weeks. Somebody says, Steve, why don't you just buy the cake and drink the whiskey? Yes, I have to be honest. We had last year the uh, the making the Christmas cake with the whiskey, which was about as funny as giving the cat a tablet, which was uh, two of our things, which are just absolutely brilliant, which you can find on the internet. Uh, Colin Salmon has appeared in the movie Resident Evil Doctor Who. 
Diary of a Call Girl and Small Part in the Bond movies, says Lou in Kent. Thank you for that one. I, just, I couldn't understand why they kept describing him as Bond star. I thought... Ty- I mean, I didn't even recognise him. No, nothing at all. But it, it just Bond extra, we think. Bond extra. Very quickly, as we've got just a couple of minutes uh, left on the programme, you get your free Jamie Oliver cards in the mail today. The soaring number of women with breast cancer uh, will leave the NHS in crisis... This is the same as we were told, you know, the amount of people with diabetes will leave the NHS in crisis in five to ten years' time. Victoria Pendleton has turned out to be a total failure on the dance floor. She can't really manage anything at all. But there again, very good, you know, in the Olympic uh, arena. But unfortunately, when you actually get out there, I think she can't do it. So another career hopefully in shatters there. We don't want another meaningless celebrity, I'm afraid. Uh, The Starbucks chain, who don't pay a bean in UK tax, all perfectly legal. And the fabulous Maggie Smith baffled by the obsession with youth. We need more grown-up movies. And she should know because she's uh, in one. Uh, Plus, the mother of three who's vanished on a maiden voyage in her yacht. And apparently battle-weary troops who find rare comfort in Buddhism. Very interesting, isn't it? You don't, you don't sort of think about things like that. The last thing I think about with, uh, with troops. And, a, and a, a woman of four who died... And her family were round uh, the bedside or whatever, say, saying goodbye to her, and she opened her eyes. It's been a bit of a shock, isn't it? A bit of a shock when you... We've heard of people coming back from the dead, and so... Um, but they do say that, uh, that diagnosing death can be uh, an inexact science. That's according to Tony Calland, chairman of the uh, British Medical Association. But you're just saying goodbye to somebody, and all of a sudden they open their eyes and sit up. We've heard it happen in, in mortuaries before. Must be an awful fright to the people working down there. And uh, here's a, a glass of special brew. It's called Armageddon. It's £80 a glass. It's as potent as ten pints of lager. So, uh, like, mind you, you buy a snake bite, it's really cheap and it'll get you drunk very quickly. That's the kind of thing. So, uh, Vincent Graff is the poor soul that they've made drink this stuff. He said, that's what I call special. Have yourself a fantastic day. <coughs> Excuse me, it's going to be a little bit, uh, little bit windy out there, but hopefully the rain should uh, should hold up. I've got a sore throat all of a sudden. Uh, I'm back tomorrow. We'll have a free podcast for you up in about 30 minutes, and you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Steve Allen Show, at Steve Allen Show. We'll do it again tomorrow morning from four. Go to the LBC website to learn all about podcasting and to find out uh, all about things that are happening on your favourite radio station. Nick and the team with you after the news at seven, coming up next on LBC 97.3. The morning news with Susan Bookbinder. LBC 97.